Welcome to Kilts and Culture with USA Kilts. We're here to talk about all things Highland dress, the cultures and the heritage that created it, and how to enjoy the kilt in the 21st century. From tartan and trues to haggis and history, we cover it all. So sit back, grab your beverage of choice, and enjoy the show. Boys and girls, today we have a special treat, just like we always do. We are going to taste test the Dalmore. This is a lovely Scotch Highland single malt whiskey, mm -hmm. Highland single malt Scotch whiskey. Um, citrus fruits, chocolate, and aromatic spices, um, with a finish of roasted coffee and chocolate. Okay, if I don't taste every single one of those elements, I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, you, you better. I have to, I have to pick up every single attention. part of that profile. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I wake up my the taste Dalmore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed. Now, to, to drink the Dalmore, mm -hmm. we need a glass worthy of the Dalmore. So, the oft-sought-after, highly-coveted USA Kilts Glencairn oh. glasses. Yes, magical. Magical. So, we have those. And then we have one for Mr. Mac, who's behind the camera today. Yep. The, all right, so Delmore, 750, 40% alcohol by volume. And try to open this thing up. Gracefully. Ooh. Sounds like a fork. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, do you want water in yours or no? I will put a drop of water in mine. I have okay. some water here. Yeah, some water there. Yep. Okay. Mr. Mack, would you like some water in yours? Sure. <clears throat> Not enough, or would you like more, Mr. Mack? That works. That works? Okay. That's about right. All right. So, we'll leave our bottle of Dalmore there. Mack, do you want water? I think he said yes. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't okay. listening. All right. Just a splash. All right, Mr. Mac, if you would come collect. Yeah. I'll add a splash to mine, too. We're over here <laughs> in the library. Come around. Just a drop. It's going to take him a minute. Oh, hey, Mac. Well, howdy. Power walk up here. Parlor. Yeah. Yes. Until <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeeves will be ready for luncheon after this. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Quite yeah. <clears throat> All right. We'll wait for Mr. Mac to get back behind the camera over there. <laughs> Second camera. Let's go the, up the stairs. And I think, in honor of the new studio, we need a toast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any you want to give, or do you want me to do it? I would just I would just stick with uh, Langmuir Lomrik. Fair enough. So this is kind of our new house. So. Fair enough. Hmm? I'll do the uh, uh, the Irish blessing toast, whatever it is. Sure. Uh. May those who love us, love us, and those who don't, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, let them turn their ankles, so we'll know them by their limping. <laughs> Sounds Absolutely. good. Absolutely. So, Mac, yep. Slanja. Slanja. Well, it's definitely not peaty. Nope, nope. We're going with the Highland. Yep. It's yep. a lot sweeter. Different animal. Yep, Absolutely. Mr. Mack, do you have any thoughts on your initial sip? 
Or two. No, I'm going to do another one. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. <laughs> exactly. All right, what am I supposed to be tasting? What um, say? All the above. <laughs> Aroma. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to smell it. Right. <laughs> Citrus fruits, chocolate, and aromatic spices. Spicy. A little bit. A little pepper. On the palate, concentrated citrus, oloroso sherry, and hints of vanilla pod. And then the finish, roasted coffee and chocolate. So Citrus, not really. On the nose. Not so much. I sort of get the vanilla. Uh, you get a little bit of vanilla. I get, this, I get the scent of the, the spices a little bit. And I get the, I get the, the coffee, because, but that's basically just registering me as like a bitterness. <clears throat> like a bitter note at the end. Okay. I think is what they mean by the coffee. <clears throat> Can I just say, and this is a really stupid Philistine kind of thing to say, but I think that saying there's chocolate notes in any alcoholic beverage is a cop-out. I swear, half the time I look at the box, something is like, notes of chocolate. It's like, what does that even mean anymore? I think it's just a way. It's just a way of nicely saying Marketing, it's yeah. going to be a little bitter. You'll you'll detect a little bitterness. You know what I mean? Yeah. I see. I'm not a huge chocolate person. Regular chocolate. I'm one of those freaks that likes white chocolate. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're one <laughs> no. of those. White I chocolate. Love, I love Mac. white chocolate. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love all kinds of chocolate, but it's just I feel like, what else can we say about this whiskey? Let's say it has chocolate notes. You know, it's just. Or it's spices, yeah. Yeah. They all have spices. Mm-hmm. They all have, mm-hmm. you know, aromatic notes of yeah. X. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, what we could do is we could make a mint if we could generate, like make a, a random beverage flavor profile generator. <laughs> you know. Of scotches. Yes. This 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 scotch or this bourbon has uh, a citrusy <clears throat> citrusy uh, body and uh, hints of avocado. So does citrusy mean that it just tastes like acidic and acidity? I think that's what, that's what they were <laughs> alluding to. It, it yeah. burns a little. <laughs> it burns on the way down. Um, I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I do like it. It's. I don't <clears> find <throat> it as interesting as I do in an Isla. It's not as com. It's not I, don't as com- I, I don't know if it's com- as complex. It's. I do get the the chocolatey. It's to me. It's it's as chocolate as let's say a chocolate stout kind of thing. Yeah. It's got that hint of it, just a little tiny bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 still still good. I still like it. Yeah, I like it. Um, and the more the more I'm breathing through my nose after having drank a little bit, I definitely taste more of the chocolate-ness I think, I, that is breathing out through your nose. I think it's definitely important to taste things over a span of time. Yeah. You can't judge it by the first time Sip. it hits your hits your palate. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, I'm liking it more and more. Um, but it's not it's definitely not as complex as uh, as the Iowa's that we usually have. Now the last time I drank this, or or last time we had a Delmore was when we were given a bottle by your friend uh, when we were working Celtic Classic. Andy Davidson, yeah. Andy yeah. Andy and he gave us a bottle at Celtic. And I was smoking at the time. So I had I had okay. a uh, I had a pipe of like Frogmorton or something, if I remember correctly, and, and that just added to the experience <coughs> exponentially. Of course, I was also exhausted, so any scotch at that point. Yeah. Yeah. At the end. Medicinal of, purposes the to end, dull the pain. <laughs> at the end of a 14-hour day working at a festival, um, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, that's why people get into accompaniments, though. You yeah. Know. No, I like it. Mac, thoughts now that you have thoughts. 
pontificated? Yeah, definitely, uh, like you said, as it kind of sits a little bit, like more the aftertaste as it sits around, mm-hmm. do I get that little chocolatey note thingy? But it's definitely a little bit of a spice, right, kind of right off the bat. Yeah. yeah and after that, it kind of just mellows out. I'll give you the peppery. Um, it's very smooth. I don't get the... You it know, is, kind of, yes. you know, kick at the end, like, definitely the, the shivers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely smooth. Um, it didn't say anything about honey, but it's got a sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. That was actually the first thing I noticed was, yeah. you know, the very first sip that the sweetness came out. Now I've adjusted to that, so some of the other flavors are coming out. Um, it's the sweetness the... of the chocolate. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's exactly that. Yes. <clears throat> Bittersweet. <laughs> like Ooh. me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um... Anything else I can say about this? Yeah, if, if, like after sipping and you know breathing out through the nose, it definitely mm-hmm. lets you taste more the nuance of it. Oh yeah, yeah. We may have to we have to keep trying this through the course of the next two hours just to you know verify our test results. <laughs> yeah. I do have a full bottle. Would you like some out there in the internet web web in the interwebs area? <laughs> no, you can't. Virtual scotch. It's just here. Um, and I'll also, I also say thank you for providing it because, you know, we weren't exactly sure what our try this week was going to be. We've been going crazy getting all this set up. So, um, but oh, this? Rock- we got this done in a day. Okay, This yeah. is nothing. Sorry, it was, I, I was delusional, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Sli- slightly more than a day. Slightly. Slight, just a skosh. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought uh, <clears throat> you know, kicking off with some scotch and nice toast to the yeah. new, new place is a good idea. Absolutely. The, uh... Uh, the, the books, I'm giving props to my mother, my 70-year-old mother, who I love to death, volunteered her time to be labor for us to put all the, the tartan on the books in the background here. So that is absolutely 100% my mother's doing. Mom, I love you very much. Thank you. You saved our bacon. Mm-hmm. That took mm-hmm. her five full days to do between, you know, basically cutting all the fabric and stapling all the books and everything. It was, that was amazing. Well, we've had uh, a couple of people ask about the books and already in the questions. Is there any okay. meaning or any just, just for decoration behind it um, all? For the most part, it's just for decoration. Uh, we've had a few. Um, it, we were trying to think of what to do for the background in the studio, something that's interesting but not, you know, distracting, distracting and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, the, so we basically got a bunch of different scraps, <clears throat> and went through and, you know, covered a bunch of books. Um, we got the books. Max, lovely wife, Brittany, who I love very much as well, um, uh, uh, was uh, works at a thrift shop, and they donated all the extra books to have us actually cover the books and put them in the background. As I said, my mom cut them. Um, it's, there's, some, there's some meaning there, minusculely. Kind of not really meaning so much as jokes, um, Jokes? So, Those not, are all joke tartans? Jokes, absolutely. Okay. Joke tartans. No. These tartans don't actually exist. <clears throat> No, meaning yeah. something to us. Like I have the Scott Weathered Tartan up there, which is the one that I'm actually wearing today. Mm-hmm. This was my wedding tartan. I also have um, American Heritage Firefighter and Law Enforcement, which are some of our proprietary ones. Yep. I have the Stuart Tartan from my wife. Um, we put certain tartans side by side, you know, for meaning just for us. But that's kind of the hidden meaning that we're going to keep for ourselves for now. We may... We may uh, release the hidden meaning someday. Yeah, it's kind of like the Da Vinci Code. It's, yes. But it's the Rager Code. It's the, the now, Rager. one thing I want to do, and I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet now. Huh. At some point in the next couple weeks, Mac, you and me, mano a mano, 
Well, no, we're going to have to do it separate. I want to record me going through and naming all the tartans. Okay. And then time it. See how many I get wrong. We have to figure out a point deduction system for how many you get wrong. Really? And then have, then have Mac okay. go through and name all the ones that he can in as quickly as time as he so, can. So Adam and I are going to have to set this up as like separate incidents. Yes. Okay, so you get a session and he gets a session. Yeah. Okay. It, should, right. it could effectively be back-to-back, -back, but for a okay. for a control, we don't want to be in the same room at the same time. Right, exactly. I want to test Mac. We love testing the employees, Lucas and all the guys downstairs. We always, when we get the tartan box <laughs> in, all right, guys, what tartan is this one? And we see if they can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yes, torturous. I love it. Very. Yes. Very. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought, you, I thought you know most of these by heart, actually, yeah. but okay. I do. I want to okay, see so, how fast I can go through so, them. <laughs> so the deck is stacked <laughs> against no, Mac. No, and, well, the same thing with Mac. I mean, Mac's, okay. Mac should okay. know the majority of these by heart. You want to see yeah. how fast you can Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's okay. frankly speaking, I'm going to, if I had to guess, I would guess I might get one, maybe two wrong, and I'm going to probably guess about the same for Mac, and he's he's eyeballing yeah. them I'll now. I'll look at them now, yeah. Um, so I guess we'd get one or two wrong. It's more the time it takes us to go through them. Okay. And how and figuring out the point deduction system for the ones that we get wrong, or okay. if we skip one. That would be my only thing. We gotta figure out rules mm -hmm. for this. Okay. Penalty reward is bragging rights. Absolutely. Okay. It's it's the rest of this bottle of scotch. <laughs> Drank in that sitting. There you go. <laughs> so all right. Back to the Dalmore. Mr. Mack. What would you give this tasty, tasty beverage? Score one to ten. It's grown on me more as I'm sitting here, so I want to go. I want to go with a. I want to go with a seven. Seven. Amateur seven. score, not seven point two, just straight seven. We'll go straight seven. Amateur. Mr. Eric. I'm getting the chocolate notes on the on I the just nose got the, now. I got the vanilla on the nose just now. It's just like the the vanilla really hit me strong. So. I think that's that, I don't know if that's something people say about scotch. It probably is. It's basically, it will change over time, and the longer you're drinking it, the more you'll notice on mm -hmm. different sips. Because I didn't notice any vanilla at all when I first tried it, but just now I picked up my glass again. I was like, oh wow, hey. So, um, yeah, I'd probably give it a, like an eight point two. Eight point two. Yeah, I'd say that's 8. a strong 2. score. Yeah, it is. It is. I what actually, was your? I like it. I like it. What's your What's your logable in the score? Compared to Lagavulin, well, that's like, well, we always assume Lagavulin's our ten, right? Okay. Oh, wasn't that how we did that? That's the, that's the constant. That's yes. the constant. It's yeah. the that's our our favorite. So, um, it's so different. It, I, I'm not gonna try and compare them really. I'm gonna try it's a little a, bit. It's neat. a yin yang. It's a yin yang. Fair, fair. It's a, it's a different mood. It's a it's a Corona versus an IPA. It's a summer beer, autumn beer kind For of thing. For those who drink Corona, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try a little neat just to see if it changes the profile too much. Did you notice that the nose change the next time you pick the glass up by, by any chance, Mac? Because I no, definitely I have. Okay. Of course, that's the advantage of these glasses, too. I'm going to go... Uh, I think it's 7.9. Okay. I wouldn't... I wouldn't... 8... I'm, I'm working off of the, uh, the Barstool Sports Pizza Scale. 8 is the magic number. Eight okay. means you, for those that are on the Barstool Sports, it's basically the guy runs around, well, part of it is the guy runs around and reviews pizza shops. Um, eight is the magic number where he would drive specifically out of his way to get the pizza. Okay. 
below okay. eight is, you know, sevens are a very good, you know, standard, you know, and then lower. Okay. Um, I would I would go 7.9. I wouldn't necessarily drive out of my way to get it, but if this was at a party or if I had this in the basement and this was, you know, part of my array, there would be days where I would prefer this. Yeah, I can see that. I'll say it that way. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean, it, I think it'd be hard to pin yourself down to just having one scotch in your closet anyway. Really, it's very true. You know, yeah. I'd say I, I would. Gotta I would catch them all. I prefer this, um, like this time of year, compared to um, something as peaty. I think something as peaty feels more wintry to me. I would. I would. Fair. I would actually say scotch in general to me is more a fall through. Early spring, mid spring kind of beverage. Yeah. It's not necessarily you know, oh, you know, working outside all day. I need a big tall glass of scotch. A <laughs> big tumbler of scotch. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Lafroy time. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, all in all, good score. Yeah, it's good, good scotch. It's good stuff. We 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 recognize we recommend the Dalmore. Can all I right. smash my glass into the fire? The fireplace. You might break the glass. Oh, okay. <laughs> For those wondering, yes, the fireplace does work. It is, what's the temperature today? Like 80-something degrees, 90-something yeah, degrees? Yeah, so we're not going to put on a firework or a fireplace. Yep. So we will eventually have it on in the winter. And that was one of the questions already. Yeah. No. It, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's It will legit. go on. It's, yeah. Yeah. Now, it is, it is propane, not, not, uh, not wood. wood. But. <laughs> yeah, that would get very, very... Smoky and hazy in here. Well, no. <laughs> Look like a Grateful Dead. It would work fine. <laughs> Look like a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> um, and if anybody's curious about the sources for some of the other things we got as decoration, uh, we'll put those uh, up as notes links. later on. Yeah. Yep. The swords, done from a company in the UK or Glasgow called Armor Class. Top-notch stuff. Really cool guy, um, Ian. Um, the the Taurus itself is uh, Northwest Celtic Designs. Mm -hmm. He has a shop on Etsy. Again, very, very, very nice guy. Yeah. Um, reasonably priced for very, very detail-oriented work. Um, even though it's just wall hanger type stuff here in the shop, we didn't want to just cheap out and get you know, you know, overseas-made junk for you know, yeah. background stuff. Yeah. So we actually went in and got some pretty cool-looking stuff um, from some some artisans. Yeah, we're using them as wall hangers, but these are actually you know reenactment grade even HEMA-grade uh, objects on the wall here. So HEMA, that's the martial arts, European martial arts. Um, the Targe, uh, did you put pictures of the Targe up yet, like close-ups? Not close-ups. I okay. took a picture of okay. Uncle Kevin uh, yeah. getting ready to mount it on the wall. It is. Um, we'll post pictures. This camera angle doesn't do it justice. It is amazing. The not work on it, the detail is just fantastic. And it is a legit piece of equipment. We've all taken turns hefting it and trying it out, and you could actually you could actually take it out on the field if you wanted to. So, still prefer. Guns. I'm proud of that. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. There's that. It's the Indiana Jones movie where he just pulls out the gun and shoots the guy. Well, you know, if Claudin toss anything. <laughs> that. Fair, fair point. Anyway. All right, Mr. Mac, do we have any questions rolling in yet, or should we start with some of the? Uh, we, we do, and one, and we'll start with uh, Mark since he's since we're kind of still talking about it a little bit. Uh, he's wondering if there's a list of somewhere of a running score of, uh, of the scotches we try. You know, I've never thought to compile that, Mark, I'll, uh, but that's a good idea. I can go back through the old episodes and uh, I'll have to start uh, putting up a, a scorecard, basically. I agree. It's a good thought. Yeah. It's a good thought. 
Fair. It obviously, however, means we're going to have to try a lot more scotch. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, we should, well, we should, uh... What's the point of having a score list if you only have, like, three, three or four on there? I mean, you know. No, but should we, should we do the same kind of thing for all the things we try? Just the USA Kilt scorecard. I can say we could do period. an alcohol. We could do an alcohol category and a food category, maybe. Okay. You know, and then and then games. Well, we also have like drinks and other yeah other things. Maybe like a page on the website with a sure. uh, oh yeah uh, you know links to all the different video clips and just like a, a straight up scorecard. Yeah. Like a graphic with a scorecard. I, I think that's a worthy idea. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Good yeah. thought. Absolutely. Mr. Mack, number two. All right, so we got David asking. He's got two questions here. He's like, he's asking, can we wear, can you wear regular dress shoes with, with and adding ghillie laces? And does an accessory bag on the belt cheapen your look? Don't wear regular ghillie laces with dress shoes. Just wear the dress shoes. Yeah. Um, we did a video on this a while ago where we went mm -hmm. off on a crazy tangent. Um, which included markers on your hose. Look it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't recreate Sharp, that. Sharpieing the laces That on. magic, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, no, don't do uh, uh, Gilly Brogue laces on regular dress shoes. Just forego the, the Gilly Brogue laces. Just wear the regular dress shoes. It's, yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah, you're not out of uniform. Um, as we often point out, Gilly Brogues are kind of meant to be a throwback uh, to a romanticized version of a shoe uh, from the Middle Ages up through the 18th century. Uh, and uh, you have plenty of precedent of guys for the past 150, 200 years just wearing regular shoes with their Highland wear. Um, Gillybrugs really only became part of a staple part of the uniform maybe you know in the 20th century. So they're nice to have, but uh, trying to put ghillie laces onto a pair of dress shoes just kind of looks like you're trying too hard. Um, it's not worth worrying about. You know, I mean, the... Uh, the, the idea with the Highland wear is to make sure that your overall look looks sharp and together and dignified, you know, for a good occasion. You know, not t-shirts going to a festival, obviously, but, you know, on a regular basis, going to a nice event, you just want to look generally well put together. So try not to uh, try too hard or obsess too much over minor details like that. If you have a pair of nice-looking dress shoes that you like, go with it. You're fine. I'm going to make, I'm going to draw a, a uh, seemingly odd but potentially insightful parallel. Okay. Gilly Brogues and Highland shirts. Mm-hmm. Both not historical, but they've become accepted and kind of folded into the thing that is Highland wear. Yeah. Different, different reasons, formal versus yeah. day wear, um, but they weren't historical parts of the outfit. They just kind of became popular and then accepted as something that you yeah, they're Yeah, um, they're both based on actual historical garments, you know, objects. Yeah. They're, they, they have their roots in something that is actually historical, but they're more symbolic than anything else. They're kind of yeah. a, they're an abstraction, is what I like to say. So yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah, yeah. But in fairness, everything starts as an abstraction or a thought or something new mm -hmm. at some point in time, and mm -hmm. either becomes accepted or not. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. fair. Through wanton usage, is that what you usually exactly. say? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's W O N T. Want. Want usage. usage. Yep. Not, not yep. want like want. I want it. Uh, want. Yeah. Want. Want. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> want. Mm -hmm. Want. You've had too much scotch already, sir. <laughs> I've just begun. <laughs> I've only just begun to defile myself. 
You get points if you know that movie reference, by the way. Absolutely. That is a classic, must be viewed by every employee. When we finish yeah. the upstairs, first movie night, watching that movie, bonus points if you can name it. Mm -hmm. Mr. Mack, next question. Alrighty, so we have Jacob, and he's moving from Florida to Illinois. Oof. So he needs some input. How much warmer is a 16-ounce heavyweight kilt than an 11-ounce medium weight? Pretty warmer. 11-ounce is... I don't is, know what you mean by 11-ounce, though. Yeah, no, 11-ounce is lightweight. 13-ounce is medium weight. Yeah. 16-ounce is heavyweight. Yeah. Um, we just don't have too many calls for 11-ounce kilt. Usually, well, we don't. Polyviscose is 11-12-ounce. Yeah, 11 PD, to 12 PD ounce, is 11-ounce, so. right? It's not the same behavior as wool, but... Uh, Correct. But, yeah. Um, a 16-ounce wool kilt isn't... It's warmer and it's not. It's when you're... Outside in the summer, what you're wearing up top and on top of your head, like your, your shirt and what you're wearing on your head, is going to matter more for your heat strokeness, <laughs> how warm you are, than the actual kilt itself. So a 16-ounce wool kilt is going to be a little bit warmer than a, a, a PV kilt or an 11 or a 13-ounce wool kilt of the same yardage. However, your shirt and your hat are going to matter more. I would, in my opinion, I know I, yeah, you slightly I, disagree I, with I that. I slightly but. disagree with this. I do feel that the 16-ounce wool, um, you will definitely feel a difference, especially when you're not in motion. Um, the ventilation thing we talk about with all kilts is usually a factor of like when you're standing up or when you're walking around. If you're sitting down, you know, in a chair, at your office, on the bus, whatever, then you've got a bit more of a blanket on you and a bit more padding underneath you with a 16-ounce than you do with something like PV or 11-ounce. You also have a thicker... A layer of uh, fabric and more insulative fabric going around your belly. And so this up here around your belt line, around your lower torso, that's where you're going to feel the difference. And I do recommend it. For winters in Illinois, absolutely go with the 16-ounce. It's definitely worth the investment. What about summers in Illinois? Summers in Illinois, I think they're mostly, they're, they're not unlike here. A bit cool, they're cooler, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's more of a four-season versus Florida where it's more of a Three season plus yeah. sun. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, you got a lot like so you have a lot of swampland, I guess, in Illinois. Yeah. So you have a lot of mosquitoes and stuff. Well, so, same in Florida. Yeah, I'm just saying. More this gators. Goes, this goes back to what I said before: is that basically it's good to have a kilt or two for hot weather and a kilt or two for cool weather. And uh, as Rocky was mentioning, basically think about uh, different head coverings and different layers you want to have. Um, the nice thing about the cool weather is that it is a lot easier to emulate traditional Scottish styles. Um, and you can really have a lot of fun with the tweeds and the and the jumpers, that is the sweaters, uh, and the wool caps and all that kind of stuff. And it looks great, and the weather is perfect for that. So yeah, especially the cooler months, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. The average temperature in uh, Illinois in summer is about 85. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, about it's here. About like it is here. Yep. Yep. Very good, Mr. Mack. Next one. Alrighty. So we have Billy. He has a dilemma. He's lost some weight, about 30 pounds. Okay. And his kilt rides lower since he doesn't have that huge belly anymore, and it sits on his knees now. Is there any way to shorten the kilt? And he is from our friends at uh, the Brian Brew Pipe Band. Okay. Oh, hey, Billy. Okay, cool. Um, it, would, it shouldn't sit lower because you've lost weight. It may sit lower because it's looser. Yeah, um, because probably what he's implying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you would just have to cinch it down more and tighten it up. Um, if you're already on the last hole in the strap, then you just have the buckles moved on the right-hand side. Um, yeah, if 30 you... 30 pounds could be a lot. 
30 pounds could be a significant difference. Yeah, 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 that's fair. You might be able to get away with a buckle move to tighten it up so it rides where you want it to ride on your torso, um, but you may instead be looking at wanting to get a new kilt. Now, the question then in your situation is, is this one of the band kilts or is this a personal kilt? If it's a band kilt, you know, then you want to talk about to them if there's a way you can get a different kilt and hand down yours to another member of the band. If it's your personal kilt, then, you know, come on, since you're local, come in and see us and we can take a look at it with you. Yeah. But I would say that you don't, it's not so much making the kilt shorter, it's making sure that it fits, you know, properly in the ways that it's tight enough because your height hasn't changed. You know, the ratio and the, the, the measurement from your belly button down to your kneecaps hasn't changed. It's just that you're, it's trying to slip off. So you want to tighten it up or possibly get a new kilt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he is saying it is a band kilt. It is a band kilt? Yeah. Okay. Then it may be that um, you can uh, pass it on to somebody who is a better fit for. Yeah. Or if it is, if you're just on the last hole in the strap and it's still just a little bit too loose, then we can move the buckles. Yeah. So, yeah, either one. Yep. All right, Mr. Eric, let's do some of the uh, preloaded. Sure, sure. Okay. Let's see. Man, it's hot coffee. <laughs> I'm like burning myself. Well, you know, the coffee and breath mints and scotch. I it's still, my, it's my, mm. it's delicious. One of these days, he's going to pass out on camera. He's just going to start foaming at the mouth. I'm going to make it like a smoothie. Whiskey, <laughs> whiskey, coffee, icebreaker flavored smoothie. Boy, we'll put that on the website too. USA Kilts recipes. Yes, <laughs> the complete absolutely. USA Kilts cookbook. Oh, I can blend this. No, Kelly, if you're watching. No. I got a project for tonight for me and Liam. Blah. Okay. <laughs> that was nice and funny. Let's do something serious now. Never. Doug Buchanan is asking us, is it appropriate to wear a kilt to a funeral? Um, he feels it's fairly obvious that you wouldn't wear a Prince Charlie and you wouldn't necessarily wear a dress form, but would a, a darker tweed and a hunting sporn or an argyle be appropriate uh, for an occasion like that? <clears throat> yeah. I've worn kilts to funerals multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, the an argyle is fine. A, a Prince Charlie is more formal. You're right. I wouldn't wear a PC to a to a funeral, mm -hmm. but a tweed jacket and vest. Um, basically, anything that is suit equivalent would be fine for a funeral. Um, mm -hmm. I'd I'd even almost well, if you're wearing a tweed, you could wear a day sporin, hunting sporin, a dress sporin, depending on how like loud it is if you have like a, a contemporary you know bright yellow rabbit dress boring then then you should no really get help you should burn it but, but that's aside the uh but aside from that it's yeah even now, a dress yeah. boring with a tweed would still some be dress boring's i think you can yeah i mean it's interesting you know we, we like to put all this stuff into categories but there really is kind of a spectrum aspect to it where there's a sedate dress boring and then there's a really in your face dress boring <clears throat> Um, yeah, but your, your, your instinct is correct. Basically, you just you want to keep it more subdued. Uh, a Prince Charlie is after six. That is, that is formal wear. Um, that is basically black tie to white tie. You know, whereas an Argyle jacket is black tie to suit level. So you could wear an Argyle jacket if you wanted to keep it black, dark, in a somber. Yeah, yeah, somber. Um, the, uh, in a more general sense, you can gauge your audience. If you're the only person there in a kilt, um, then it may be that they would love to see more bling because they feel it is more romantic, uh, or it could be depend on the context in which you knew the person who was deceased. You know, it's uh, <coughs> we've had some some people who say, 
you know, I'm going to my grandmother's funeral and I'm the only one who represents our Irish heritage and she was really into this. Should I do this or should I not? And it's like, yeah, well, think about what would uh, please the person who's passed on is, is how I like to think of it. Um, but as a safeguard, yeah, keep it, keep it toned down. Keep it, a tweed is fine. Hunting swarms are fantastic for so many occasions, so that's a really good call too. I'd actually twist what you said kind of on its head a little bit. Funerals are for the living, they're not for the dead. I Funerals think they're for both. are for supporting the family and you know the, the family of the people or the person who's who's mm -hmm. died. So it's more it's a mixture of honoring their memory, but you know, really being there for the family. Mm -hmm. So if the family knows that the deceased loved kilts, loved Scottish culture, loves Irish culture, whatever, and or, you know, had kilts themselves, then that would be a great way and a comforting way to honor the memory as well as, you know, kind of ingratiate yourself to the family a bit. Well, let me put, let me put it this way then. I would say that um, it depends on your, and I may have said this before in the past when this has come up, um, it depends on the level of connection you have to the family and to the deceased. If you were very, very close, then the people in the family who know you very well, like if it was your parent or something, they're going to understand your personality and they're going to be interested in seeing you express yourself um, and they'll be more accepting of it. If you were a friend or a cousin or something removed, then obviously you want to be more conservative because there's going to be more of a mixed crowd at the occasion and you're not as emotionally close to them. So you want to be more cautious. Especially if you don't know the family, exactly. you just knew the exactly. deceased. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you, like I said, if you're a friend. Yeah. 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 But uh, I'd say your instincts are correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mr. Mack. All right, so we've got quite a few historical questions rolling in here now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so we have Michael asking, is there any significance with the number of tassels on a sporn or any other design features, or is it just more of a fashion thing? Sure. The, the original, original sporns, the OGs, as it were, um, <laughs> Rob Roy sporns. Um, basically what it was was a drawstring pouch where there was one, you know, think of a long cord kind of weaved in and out of a leather bag and you would actually pull the cord and you know pull against the bag to tighten the bag and kind of cinch it down that would be one you know thing hanging down the front then you'd have two cords to kind of tie the the flap down yeah or no 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 two cords to, no. to cinch and one to tie the flap down it's actually both you something have, like that yeah, you basically, yeah but <clears throat> they ended up with three tassels or three cords hanging down mm -hmm. so the three tassels on the sporn are kind of a, a nod a wink a nudge or a uh Throwback. A throwback, thank you, mm -hmm. to, to that. And it's kind of evolved from there, but they kind of retained that aspect. Mm -hmm. in, a, in the same way, <clears throat> the top of... Here's a tangent for you. The a top tangent? Of, we never do that. No, never. The top of a dress born has a little ball on it. Um, that's because original dress borns, it was a ball clasp, where it opened up like a coin purse. So you actually pull the ball up, and it released the latch, and the actual dress worn would kind of fold in half like a you know like a V and you would reach your hand in there and then you know click it closed over time I, I want to say it was in like the the 50s or so W Scott and Sons which is an old sporn maker in, in Edinburgh um, designed a fake cantle that just went on the front of the sporn that didn't need an actual hinge mm. and designed the the little leather tab that went over the back and snapped to the back of the dress born so it really, really cheapened in manufacturing and yeah. cheapened quality Easy, as well. Easier to manufacture and easier yes. to use, really. The dress born, so it's no longer hinged. It's just a, a quick thumb flip at the back to get into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, 
obviously the actual truth of the matter is that there are three tassels on a Scottish sporran to represent your loyalty to clan and country and king. And in an Irish sporran, you have no king, so you only have two tassels to represent loyalty to family and to county. And if you believe that one, I highly suggest you do some Googling. Um, this is to say that we get a lot of historical questions here, and a lot of the stuff you'll hear coming from people is folklore or hearsay or legendary stuff which has no basis in actual fact. Straight up um, bunk. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so always check your sources and always double check your sources. Uh, the tassels that Rocky was alluding to were definitely taken to the next level by military factions. Uh, in the 18th century and going into the 19th century, they started uh, using the tassels as more of a decorative item, especially to indicate differences in rank of officers. The higher rank you were, the more fancy your sporn became. Uh, and they got into doing the gold braids, and we're talking literal gold thread on top of, uh, you know, woven wool cord, all that kind of fancy stuff. And uh, Scottish civilian fashion always, always for the past 100, 200 years, follows military trends. So that's that's a, a large degree of where modern tassels have evolved from. Um, but yeah, there's no special significance to them. They just look cool, and they're a bit of a throwback, uh, an abstraction, like we were saying earlier, to something that was an actually practical thing back in the olden times. Just like Gillybrogues are a throwback to actual, you know, medieval-ish, you know, 18th century shoes, uh, and the Highland shirt is a throwback to actual 18th century work shirts. Yep. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. Indeed. Indeed. Mr. Mack. All right, so we have Chris asking, and this is, I think, the first time I've seen... Is this another historical one? It or? is. Okay. This is another okay. one. Um, I got a, we got a couple here. Cool. Um, this is the first time I think I've seen this come across uh, one of our lives, is why is there fringe on the kilt? Is, is there, is there mm. a historic uh, reference for it? I know why there's not fringe on some kilts. I don't know about the, why there's fringe. It would just be effectively the, if I had to guess, and this is just a pure educated guess that's not 100% fact. So Google more stuff than just me. But that's my um, point. You're being honest about making an educated guess. Well, a lot of people out there will not be. They'll say, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. You know, it's passing yeah, on me. Well, so, that anyway. just bothers the hell out of me. Right. Go ahead. Um, Sorry. So anyway, the if I had to guess, it would be it evolved from the great kilt just having, you know, torn fabric edges where the bottom is actually a selvage edge and then the actual edge of the cloth is just torn mm -hmm. as you you know wear it it's going to fringe a little bit it's not going to come unraveled like a sweater because it's not knit but but because it is woven it will kind of fringe a little bit at the edge right. now in american kilts if you look at um kilts from the 1950s 70s and before hmm. um there was a weird rule with the US customs that anything with decorative fringe or decorative decorations on a garment of clothing uh -huh. would be taxed at a higher rate. So, so they left the companies off. from Scotland would <laughs> send the kilt to America mm -hmm. and not fringe the front apron. Okay. They would just leave it cut and it would be up to the individual to actually fringe it and you're effective gotcha. all you're doing is just gotcha. pulling out a bunch of threads. But okay. they would leave it undone so that it's taxed at a lower rate, mm. and then the okay. person wouldn't get banged with customs. Okay. That's hysterical. Yes. It makes perfect yes, it sense, is. though. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, leave it to the practical Scots to get yeah, around the Yeah, customs. seriously. Um, I think Occam's Razor says that what you're saying about the, the fringe is correct, and I swear I've heard it other places before. Um, so double-check everything I'm saying, too. 
Uh, but uh, you must have Googled the same places I did. I probably did, you know. Um, but uh, actually, I like to use uh, Yahoo. I'm oh. really old school like that. I prefer Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia is good. Um, the uh, fringe, very definitely. Again, we're talking about survivals and things that were retained because they just looked cool. Fringe became a thing, I think, as kilts became more tailored. They said, "Well, we're not just wrapping cloth around ourselves anymore and leaving the the edge, you know, fuzzy." Um, we're tailoring this thing. What should we do with the edge? Well, fuzz kind of looks cool, and it adds some definition to the front of the kilt where you don't have much definition or interest, so let's keep it. It looks cool. And now you actually have fringe being added on in layers to make it thicker and more impressive. I would... Two things I'll point out. Number one, the the historical example of the reverse Kunusi plating um, mm -hmm. kilt um, does not have fringe. A lot of those old okay. historical versions of kilts tailored kilts do not have the fringe. There you go. The, it's just like the Highland shirts again. And the other thing I'll point out is the way that we put on fringe here is a little bit different than traditional kilt makers. There's a there's hundred different ways to skin a cat. You can make okay. a kilt a hundred different ways and they're all fine and good as long as it looks good and fits you. Okay. Um, but the traditional way is to actually bring the fabric from the front apron back to itself and then back out. Mm -hmm. So if you need to adjust the kilt later to make it the front apron bigger to allow for growth of you the individual, have... you still have fabric to fudge the front apron. That's okay. why the first pleat is a little bit deeper than the rest of them, so you can fudge that as well. Okay. That's why you add extra fabric on the under apron so that you can actually add more pleats to the kilt. Okay. So they kind of, they built in, you know, 50 years ago, um, they would build extra fabric in or extra ways to tweak and adjust kilts into the actual garment itself. Nowadays, it's a lot less common. It's a lot more... Um, people just basically build it for the person that's wearing it. Uh -huh. Done. That's it. Mm -hmm. Mac, anything to add to that or thoughts? No, pretty much. I, okay. I think, I, but I think you just hit on a, a point that I hadn't thought about looking at photographic evidence, to be honest, but now I'm going to. But I suspect that then putting the fringe back on became just like Highland shirts and Gillybrogues and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, we think that they had fringy kilts back in, you know, the 16th century, so we're going to yeah. part putting, fr putting fringe on our national costume to make it look more official. Yeah, traditional from back What's then. What's the date of the Canusi um, specimen? I, I got I that know. in my notes, but I don't remember. Um, I think it's like 1830s? Sure. I'll look it up. But, Google it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll check my photo archive, but... Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think what that also says is that you could go without the fringe if you wanted to be very contemporary about it. Yeah. So. There's, it, the fringe serves no purpose other than looking cool. Yeah. So, you don't like the fringe? Leave it off. Yeah. Done. Mr. Mack. Alright, so we still have another, this is our last historical one that I have here. Aw. Um, Sam is asking, is there any chance that an 18th century style jacket might ever be something USA Kilts could offer uh, for the reenactment like-minded people or just somebody who wants more of a older style than, than the more modern cuts that we have now. What I would... It depends on the style um, and the individual jacket because, um, you know, even in the 18th century there was multiple types of jackets. Um, if it is a sheriff mirror or a Montrose doublet or something specific, then sure, we still offer those now. We don't have it on the website at the current time because it's the 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 call for them is less than a Prince Charlie Argyle tweed, um, and I don't want to give people too many options that they get you know confused and drown in options. Um, that being said, 
if you do have an image or something that you're trying to replicate from you know way back when, send us the image and we'll send it off to the tailor in Glasgow and say, hey, oh, okay. can you guys make this and see what they say? Okay. Yeah, I, I love the way you're thinking. Um, when we launched the uh, the reenactment line and the uh, USA Kilts historical line, then uh, we'll start out in the Max back here nodding like, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, there's a a lot of this stuff is based on early. Uh, specimens from the 18th century and the Napoleonic era, so you know early 19th century, but it's not exact. It's not an exact historical reproduction. Um, so yeah, this is kind of a specialized thing. In the, if you, again, we could probably do something custom for you, making a regular offering as part of our product line. There'd have to be a groundswell in our clientele to make it make sense from an economic standpoint. Unfortunately, um, there are ways you can do it by going through reenactment supplies of course and and you know or getting the patterns and making the you know drafting the jacket yourself take it to a tailor or something like that yeah basically you know like like reenactors typically do um i think it looks great i think a lot of those styles should come back i'm obviously biased and mm -hmm. i'm into that weird stuff but um yeah i'm not sure it's going to be hitting the mainstream anytime soon but yeah, I mean, if, it, if there's some looking for a particular jacket, like there's a uh, friends of mine, uh, Corner Clothiers, okay. out, of, out of Gettysburg, uh, or out just past Gettysburg, they do an excellent style, civilian style jackets, the palatotes cool. okay. and sack coats that work perfect from a lot of the images that we see, um, that we've, I know me and Eric have talked about quite a bit, mm -hmm. and um, eventually, that's one of my goals, is to get more of a 18th century looking outfit together, and then nice. go get my image struck. There you and go. And uh, we'll go from there. But we'll see. Yeah, Robert Hughes to paint you. There we go. Yeah, that'd be cool. I thought that we were getting that on the ceiling here. It was getting Rocky painted on the ceiling. No, no, so not on the ceiling. I was going to be on the, the mantle with the hand. Oh, in there it. we go. Oh, I, thought, I think Max referring like the, the, you know, the, the yes. hand of God. Yes. Thing, you know. Yes, me the, shirtless the, the in the ceiling. Chapel thing, yeah. <laughs> no camera angle will ever go up. It's me shirtless. <laughs> um, if you do pull it together, let me see the pictures, as I always say, because definitely think those styles should come back. Agreed. All right, let's okay. do some more preloaded one. ones. Okay. All right. Here's a simple one. Can you wear a skin do without flashes? That's from Becca Johnson. Can you wear a skin do without flashes? Sure. Yeah. Um, the, the flashes are the, the garters and the little flags that go down underneath the sock or underneath the turn down of the sock. So, you can wear a skin-do without flashes. The only issue is the flashes and the elastic band help hold the skin-do in the sock. Yeah. So people have worn them without, oftentimes have lost their skin-do. So the flashes actually help kind of keep it inside the leg. Um, the skin-do as well, and I would say also the flashes may help keep it visible. With the mm -hmm. skin-do, you're only sticking two, two and a quarter inches above the top of the kilt hose, and the rest of it is actually jammed down in the sock. Mm -hmm. So if you're walking around, especially on concrete with hard, you know, hard steps, um, it's going to want to kind of slip down inside the sock as you're walking around throughout the day or marching yeah. around. Yeah. So flashes would kind of be necessary. The, the cheat then would naturally be to just use the elastic band right. and leave the flash, the flags of the flashes off. Um, so you could wear it that way to kind of keep it in the leg, but I'd, I probably wouldn't just for, for fear of losing it. Yeah, I, uh, I basically agree. Uh, and you, I was, I was going to say the same thing. Basically you, the flash part is those ribbons. So you can just use the elastic band as a sock garter and that'll keep your skin do in place and should be fine. 
uh, if you're just trying to avoid the aesthetic of the flashes for some reason you don't like them. Um, let's face it, it's handy to have some garters to keep your kill hose up in general. Uh, doesn't have to be decorative. Most of us like, like it to be decorative. We like the ribbons. But uh, you don't have to use them. But yeah, otherwise the gravity is just going to take its toll and everything is going to go kittywampus and fall down and scrunch down. So It is going to be my goal from now on hmm? to answer the question and while I'm answering it, try to think what you would say and steal your answer. Every okay, fine. Time. All right, I'm out of here. I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you work harder at coming up with new and different oh. original answers. Do they have to, to be truthful? Do they have to off. be truthful? They probably should. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So no more. No more Irish scoring no, tassels. No, no okay. Shtick. Okay. Yeah. No shtick. All right. Um, uh, just this morning, or maybe it was end of the day yesterday, uh, Pat Byers was asking us uh, if you could wear a Victorian smoking cap with. A kilt, and I want to dovetail that with. Uh, uh, it's not on my immediate page, but we had a question about wearing a uh, an Irish walking cap with a kilt. So alternative head coverings. Do you want to take a stab at this, or should I? Since I look, I, since I looked at the hats. When when you have the the uh, the hairstyle that I do, I'm not a hat guy. So I. I'm I'm because of my hairstyle. Well, I'm totally a hat guy. I love I'm hats. not a fashion hat guy. I am yeah. a function hat guy. Well, I'm both. I will wear the yeah. boonie hat. You know, every time I go outside in the sun mm -hmm. to the pool, mm -hmm. whatever boonie hat. I don't care what it look like. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not a good fashion conscious hat person. That I will defer to you. As you wish me, Lord. Um, so. To the to the the first part of the question with the uh, the uh, Victorian smoking hat, I wouldn't do it. They basically, and I think this may have come through in our brief discussion on on the Kilts and Culture Facebook group. Which, if you're not on it, folks, I highly recommend you join. The Victorian smoking cap was exactly as the name implies. It was designed for a specific context. Um, you only wore them at home. They served two purposes. One was to keep your head warm because homes were drafty back then. You had, you know, wood fired or cold fired stoves. Individual rooms were heated, but not whole houses were. So not a lot of insulation. Not a lot of insulation yeah. at all. So um, house coats and caps were very common to keep you warm. The second purpose for a smoking cap was to keep odors from pipe and cigar uh, and later cigarette tobacco smoke basically from getting into your hair. They didn't wash as often as we do. Sometimes they were using a pomade, and your hair would just pick up those odors. And in order to be gentlemanly and not offend your lady wife or anybody else, the hat became a way of keeping the tobacco odors out of your hair. So they were very highly customized, um, very much a throwback to, or inspired by, I should say, um, like Turkish hats like the Fez, uh, sometimes Chinese hats, uh, which I don't know the name of. Tassel on the top? Yeah, the tassel was... Propeller? I think they totally got the tassel. Well, the propeller is different. Okay, fair. That's, that's a little rascals. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were definitely an at-home fashion. You had a public face in Victorian times, and you had a private face. That is a private thing. Um, if you want to be an eccentric, wacky dude going off to a steampunk event in your kilt, then sure, fine. But otherwise, a smoking cap really isn't appropriate for wearing outside of the house. Um... The second hat that was mentioned uh, was the uh, Irish walking cap, which is uh, sometimes confused with a trilby, but it's basically, it's uh, also sometimes referred to as a bucket cap, or a okay. bucket hat, except an uh, Irish walking cap is a little more tailored than your typical bucket cat, bucket hat, bucket hat, bucket hat, bucket hat, bucket, Not bucket hat. cats? Yes, <laughs> a, a, a buck's worth of cats. Um, and that is basically an Irish, a traditional Irish fisher, fisherman's hat, 
uh, goes back to about the turn of the century, about 1900. And I would say, as we've said with things like trilbies um, and other very short brim hats, it'll look okay with a kilt. It's tweed. Tweed fabric is always acceptable with a kilt. And uh, it's a lower profile than something like a fedora or something with a wide brim, which I think breaks up the line with a kilt outfit. It looks odd having this horizontal line on the top of your head and then going down to the kilt. Um, a short-brimmed hat looks better. I've certainly seen people using uh, Irish walking hats uh, or bucket hats with a kilt, as long as it's a traditional style, not like the military style of bucket hat or the 60s mod style of a bucket hat. Those would look strange. But an actual Irish uh, bucket hat, walking hat, sure. So there you go. What he said. I'm the hat guy. Now you're supposed to jump on my answer now and improve it. I'm not a hat guy. Like, you were going to predict what I said and, and jump on my answer. That's what you said you are going to do. All I can't predict stuff. things I don't know about. Well. Oh, well. Next week, it is going to be <laughs> humid, partly cloudy skies. No. Okay. I could be right pretty much as much as the weatherman is. Let me, let me come up go. with a question that you probably have an answer to and I don't. Fair enough. Let's do it that way. Um, do you wanna, would you like it to be technical? Whatever you got, throw it at me. Whatever I got? Okay, okay. <clears throat> I am an open book for my public. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this gets into, here's a, this is a fashion-y question, but I think this is one you want to handle. Uh, Slade Weeb, Weeb, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing, uh, said, what about longer kilts? It seems like he's seen uh, kilts that come down to even like the mid-calf uh, advertise on Facebook and it seems like a trend that's starting up or a trend that's out there. What's our opinion on kilts that are longer than the knee? Like long length kilts for men. The back in 2004 um, we did a uh, uh, Madonna's reinvention tour mm -hmm. came around and yep. they contacted us and we did 43 kilts for the reinvention tour for all the dancers and all the other stuff that was there. Um, we got the first dozen, five, five, either five or six or a dozen, somewhere in there, finished. And then they called us up and said, wait, don't start yet. We want to make them longer. So they ended up making everyone's box pleated. And I remember at that point, okay. I didn't know what box pleated meant. <laughs> because it's like okay. literally it's like, like the first. Right out of the gate. Not even like eight started. months of the company kind of thing. Wow. Okay. Uh, we were just getting just wet behind the ears. And Kelly was sitting in the room, and I was talking to the, the, the agent lady. And she was like, yeah, yeah, we want, we want box-pleated kilts, and we want them to be longer. And I was like, oh, box-pleated kilts? Yeah, it's not a problem. And Kelly's looking at me from across the room. No! It was like the slow motion, so like trying to buy that the phone <laughs> thing. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. They ended up being mil like a military box, which is like, you know, deeper on one side than the other. Um, and they were 28 to 32 inches long for each of the kilts. Okay. Um, and they had to, you know, we had to redo the first, you know, five or whatever we made at that point. Um, but it's, it's been done. We went to the concert. It was cool to see them live in concert, spinning around, doing flips and, you know, bow staffs and the whole nine. Bow staffs Voguing, and the kilts. as they say. As they were. Um, it was, it still looked odd. Um, a, and that was, you know, mid-calf-ish kind of length for a lot of the dancers. Hmm. Um, as you wear kilts more often, you will kind of develop an eye. When I first started wearing a kilt, I probably wore it a little bit low, um, but 
as I developed an eye for it and an eye for tradition, so to speak, I it just it looks right, you know, right finger quotes at the middle of the knee for guys. Mm. When it's longer than the middle of the knee, if it covers the entire knee, if it meets the top of the kilt hose, it looks a little bit more matronly, a little bit more feminine. If it's uh, too far above the knee, like, you know, an inch or two inch or three inches above the knee, it starts to look a bit feminine, like mini skirt-ish. Um, so for my personal tastes, middle of the knee to the top of the knee is about the acceptable range, again, finger quotes, um, where I would want a kilt to land. Um, it As a fashion type thing, guys would or companies would make them or might make them a little longer for an androgynous kind of metrosexual weird you know vibe of fashion not heritage so in that instance you do you um it's not my tastes and it looks a little bit more feminine and it's not traditional. But that's yeah, that's but, where we're getting into a, a difference between kilts as a as a fashion a garment un, versus a universally a popular yeah. fashion garment versus a heritage correct national dress kind of a thing. Um, but at what point is it no longer I won't say no longer a kilt, but does it morph into something other than a kilt? Like a kilted yeah. skirt is still a kilt technically. It mm -hmm. is a pleated garment, but it's not worn to the knee. It's worn longer yeah. than the knee. So at what point is it no longer really defined or should be defined as a kilt so much as good question a a kilted skirt for men yeah or a or kilted skirt kind of for mug, anyone as they used yeah. to say and like back in the 2000s the whole male unbifurcated garment was a trendy thing to talk about because yeah. of utility kilts i think yeah. originally but yep. um yeah i think i've looked at the photos from the madonna tour and my initial reaction to those kilts you guys made is that they look more like sarongs or something than a traditional scottish kilt and okay. so I think that's basically if you're if you're emulating men's unbifurcated un fashions from other parts of the world, there's latitude for a long, a long garment. You know, like if it's a lungi or a dhoti or a sarong, um, I've seen some pretty badass guys wearing sarongs, and yeah. you wouldn't want to mess with. Yeah, doing a um, haka or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but it's uh, well, that's Maori. But anyway, the um, sorry, but the tartan adds a whole other dimension of weirdness to that. I don't think a tartan with the gridular, as we say, pattern, looks right once the garment is getting too long. If you look most of these, most of the, you know, Southeast Asian stuff, men's garments like that, they're solids or they're prints, they're not Floral gridular. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not gritty, like a tartan is. So just, I think aesthetically it looks weird. Um, it's a fashion forward thing, if you do it, it's certainly not traditional. So, yeah. bottom line, it's just, it's not, yeah. it's not traditional. You gotta decide which way you're going with your look. If and they were asking specifically about companies who are who are marketing it on Facebook or wherever else online, I think, I think they're trying to find a niche. I think they're trying, they're trying to, to find a niche, and they're trying to push boundaries, push buttons, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not a traditional thing. Period. If they're marketing it as a traditional Scottish kilt, then that's bunk. They yeah. don't know what they're talking about, and they should be drug out in the street and shot. If it's just a, it's a hey, <laughs> mildly, um, but if it's just a, hey, look at our fashion kilt, right. then uh, okay, fine, because they're not claiming it to be traditional, but yeah. once you once you cross that line, line being the lower knee, um, it's tough to go back. I don't know. Yeah, Scot it's, Scottish kilts have been about the length that we talk about at the, at the knee 
for 300 years at least. So it, it is definitely, that is the traditional length. And for a number of practical reasons as well as just, that's the look that seemed the most manly and the most aesthetic for that time period. The only thing that goes outside of that um, is if it was shorter, and that was more so it didn't, you know, cut in the back of the knee yeah, as if you're walking in wet grass. Closer to the knee but than closer to your hip, you know. Yes, that's exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, the the range we're talking about in where it falls on your body is at the highest an inch above the knee to middle of the knee. Americans, you know, in their you know 30s, 40s, who grow up with jams and long shorts, may want to say bottom of the knee, and I'll begrudgingly allow it in my mind, um, but no lower than the bottom of the knee. You need separation between the bottom of the kilt and the top of the kilt hose. You want to see a little bit of knee. You want to see the top of your calf. Yeah. The and, top of your leg. Yeah, and those, and those longer garments I alluded to, they're all lighter fabrics. Yeah. They're all cottons and silks. So the whole, yeah. the whole the weight of the wool thing is not a factor. All right, we're shaggy-dogging here yeah. like crazy. but As we do. It's either fashion or tradition. Sometimes they intersect, sometimes they don't. So knock it off. <laughs> but don't wear a knockoff. Indeed. Yeah. Mac, you got a question? Guess how this yes. right. <laughs> we got Lewis, and he's he he only owns traditional style kilts as his daily wear. Cool. But has been looking cool. into utility kilts to be an able uh, to be able to work in and work outside. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't like the lower riding utility kilt. Uh, Would we have a suggestion for a traditional mm. style looking kilt mm. that could handle the outside uh, wear and tear? If it's a utility kilt, um, depends on how you're, rugged you're talking to some. Yeah, people. yeah. It's. Uh, let me start with this. I'm gonna I'm gonna go not necessarily product heavy, but a little product heavy, and come back around. Um, a synthetic fabric can be hard wearing. A, you know, our, our polyviscose fabric in a casual kilt, which can be worn at the hip or above the hip, or our semi-traditional kilt can be hard-wearing. Those aren't going to have pockets, so they're not really a utility kilt. Right. For utility kilt, you know, there's a few brands we'd recommend. And I have them here, actually, because we had another question about them. There you go. Okay. Um, there's, when it comes to utility kilts, a lot of them are made in Pakistan. Generally, we just recommend companies that are made in the U.S. or U.K. It's kind of our thing. We have our Celtic Artisan Guarantee. We know specific companies. We know specific owners. We feel comfortable uh, uh, referring our customers to them because we know them. We know the quality of the work. We know the quality of the people who are actually making the work. Um, so Utilikilts brand, Utilikilts. They're a good one. Angry Bastards. Yep. What are some of the other ones? Just because I can't think of it off the top of my head. The top ten. No, um, I don't have any. Uh, Angry Bastard. Utility kilts, kilt this, uh, Americilt, uh, Built Kilt, and Stumptown. Those are American companies that we would recommend. And Canadian. Built yeah, and Canadian. Built Kilt is actually Canadian. Um, I was going to say, basically, the thing about utility kilts is that when they were first invented by Steve and his guys, um, he was trying to emulate how guys wear their pants and are used to wearing their pants. So he went for the lower rise and uh, you know closer to like a jeans waist, closer to on your hips, because that's what guys are used to wearing. So... You're not going to find too many utility kilts. That trend has continued. So you're not going to find too many utility kilts on the market that have a higher rise. However, there is the possibility that you could contact one of these makers, especially a smaller, more bespoke company like Angry Bastard. I'd be willing to bet he'd be willing to give it a shot. Yeah. Tell them you want a higher rise. And one way you can express that is by saying you want to wear this utility kilt with a traditional kilt belt, a wide belt. 
that will ping in their minds like, okay, you need space for the belt, therefore the waist is gonna, waistband is going to have to be wider. That's going to naturally bring the rise up. Communicate with the person you're buying the kilt from. If it's a smaller bespoke operation, they may be able to help you out. I would even be more direct. I would say I want to wear it at the belly button or sure. above my belly button. Sure. I wouldn't even leave it to the belt thing. I would mm -hmm. say, you know, I want to wear this here, which means the length is going to be X. And if you want to figure out the, the fill, that would be about a third the length. So if you're six foot tall, <clears throat> your length would be about 24. The fill, which is the sewn down portion, you know, from the widest part of your rear end to the top is going to be about eight inches, one third of the length of the kilt. Um, now, I will say this as well. There's nothing saying that you can't wear a utility yep. kilt up higher. Yeah. It's just you get a longer utility kilt, and you make sure you're cinching the belt down when you're putting it on, and you're measuring around the widest part of your belly. So you can wear it higher. Yeah. You just have to make sure that you're you know, accounting for certain things. You could fudge the measurements a little bit, but you'd have to be yeah. very careful. Um, well, utility, utility kilts, I think they have belt loops wide enough that you could put a traditional belt I believe so. through them, right? Like a kilt yeah. belt. So that would be... Yeah, that'd be a factor that'd help with that. Yep. Um, I was gonna take the opposite tack and basically say, don't assume that a traditional tartan wool kilt is not worthy of outdoor work. Um, tartan wool, the good stuff from Scotland, um, is actually pretty pretty rugged fabric. Now, I wouldn't necessarily go you know crawling on asphalt underneath my car in it. It's but, expensive. Yeah, yeah, it can be expensive. Um, but for a lot of work outdoors, it's not necessarily as bad as you might think. And those of us who reenact know this also, right? You know. Mm -hmm. Um, the guys in the trenches in World War One were wearing traditional wool kilts and getting them pretty darn dirty. So it kind of depends on what tasks you're planning on doing in it. Uh, there is some stain resistance built into tartan wool these days, also. So, you know, don't rule don't rule out a traditional kilt if that's what you really love wearing. Um, buying one that's a little less expensive or buying a used one that's of a higher quality, so you know the wool is good, would be another couple of ways to tinker with it. Yeah, I would, I would say. say just be careful about the fabric. If it's acrylic. Um, no, 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 no acrylic. Avoid no it acrylic. from the pills, or it's, if, it's, if it's a looser woven fabric, yeah. it's going to catch on things and pull much, much easier. You're going to have pills in the surface of the fabric. Um, Staining, odor, the, yeah. all that. The old adage of if it's too good to be true, it probably is, generally yeah. holds true for kilts and highland wear as well. Yep, very true. Yes. Very true. Mr. Eric. Another one? Yep. Okay. Similar vein, uh, Jeremy Harshman was saying, uh, regarding the actual structure of kilts, I see several kilts for sale that are described as either lightweight or medium weight and are made of different fabrics, also available in as either 5-yard or 8-yard. He's asking if we could go into some detail as to what these really describe in real life uh, and what would these specific kilts be used for, if anything different. <coughs> There's you know, some of the, the jargon. I think he's getting confused yeah, by the jargon that some sellers yeah, use. It's there's a lot of jargon, especially when when you're new to this and you don't understand things. There's a lot of jargon. There's a lot of people throwing terms at you because they know that you don't know what you're looking for. They know you don't understand, and some of it comes out of tradition and out of historical traditional kilts and stuff other things are less than reputable companies oh, using yeah. phrases using things using words um, using concepts even that aren't actually applied to the garment because you know our eight yard wool kilt at a hundred dollars is not the same as a traditional eight yard wool kilt 
from Scotland or like one that we would make at $500 or $600. But they're not counting on you understanding the differences. They're counting on you saying 100 bucks or 500 bucks. I'm going to go with the cheaper one because they both yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. So <clears throat> we'll start with uh, the weight of the fabric. You can, uh, kilts are generally measured, or, or kilt fabric is generally measured in ounces. You can do it in grams and a few different ways, but traditionally speaking, it's generally measured in ounces. So there's 11, 10 or 11 ounce, which is lightweight wool. Mm -hmm. There's 13 ounce, which is considered medium weight. There's 16 ounce, which is considered heavyweight. There's also 18 to 21, which is considered regimental weight. Yeah. We'll put that to the side. Um, there are other fabrics that are available. That's those. The first three were from traditional Scottish mills. There are other fabrics, acrylic. There's poly wool blends. There's poly cotton. There's poly viscose. There's a few different types of fabrics, mostly blends, that are going to be less expensive. They're going to give weights as well. Some companies are more honest in their actual weights of cloth. Other companies are less honest in their weights of cloth. Mm. There are companies that will sell an acrylic kilt. Acrylic is basically just, it's good filler fabric. It doesn't make a good garment. Therefore, it's, it's generally lighter stuff and it's looser woven. And there's companies I've seen advertising 16 ounce acrylic. No, it's probably, it really it's probably exist. eight ounce. It's like, it's, it's featherweight. It's nothing. It blows up with, you know, Marilyn Monroe moments. Um, <laughs> That, but it's, they'll advertise it as that. Hmm. So it's really finding a reputable vendor. There's uh, polyester viscose fabric, PV, as it's known for short. Um, there are some companies that are you know, importing kilts from the Middle East or from China, and those they're calling them 16-ounce PV kilts. And that is completely different fabric from what we are selling here, which is 11 to 12, depending on the, the tartan, um, ounce polyester viscose fabric woven by Martin Mills, which is one of the same mills that weaves our wool cloth. So they understand, and it's a very, very tight weave versus a very coarse weave, almost like burlap sacky kind of, you know, feel to it. Um, so those are a few of the things that are confusing for beginners is understanding the weight of fabric. The other thing to kind of keep in the back of your brain is the length of fabric in the kilts. There's an eight-yard kilt, there's a five-yard kilt, there's four-yard kilts, there's casual kilts, there's whatever. Um, a casual kilt from us is going to be about five yards of cloth. Our five-yard wool kilt is five yards of cloth to six, depending on the person's measurements. A casual kilt from a company in Scotland might be four yards of cloth. So there's a whole lot of words, numbers, phrases thrown out there. And unfortunately, the onus is on the consumer to kind of dig into each individual company, understand what they mean by their offerings, and look into reviews for the company, check Google, check Yelp, check whatever, um, check Facebook reviews, and see other people's experiences with the company that you're looking at buying from to see if they're being honest in how they're marketing their products to you or whether they're being you know transparent and that kind of thing or whether they're really just trying to sell you a pig and a poke just to get your money because they don't think you know any better and odds are a lot of people don't which is how they're still in business sorry that was a bit of a rant call me out emptor yes yeah uh slightly related 
we had a question from uh, David Bletchertus, uh, and he was saying, would you consider doing a great kilt out of polyviscose? What would be the advantages or disadvantages if you wanted to do that? Sure. The, the polyester viscose PV fabric that we have would be fine for a great kilt. Yeah. The advantages are, one, it's 11 to 12 ounces, so it's not super heavyweight. For a great kilt, since you're just wrapping it around you and it's not tailored, and you're individually hand pleating all of the kilts, in Please. my mind, it doesn't really need, or pleats, excuse me, it doesn't need to be a 16 ounce fabric. If the tartan's only available in 16 ounce wool, then you're stuck. But PV is 11 to 12 ounces, which is very good. It's machine washable, which is very good. Um, it's Teflon coated, so if you use it as a blanket or you're, you know, laying out in it or reenacting in it and rolling around in the mud, whatever you do, spilling beer on it at a festival, it's going to be good because you can just toss it in the washer and you're done. The only negative is it's a synthetic fabric, so it doesn't breathe quite as well as wool, yeah. but it is still lighter weight than a 16-ounce wool, so it's kind of a trade-off to a degree. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say that basically PV can make a, a perfectly fine great kilt if you want for going to a Ren fair or SCA <coughs> or LARPing or uh, modern-ish uh, recreational activities like that. Uh, for historical reenactment, I would not use it just because it's not the correct fabric for historical reenactment. Um, but it looks pretty good, and it's easy to deal with. Um, it will not keep you as warm in cooler weather as wool. Um, wool will definitely breathe weather and breathe better, and <coughs> will wick sweat away better than any artificial fabric like polyviscose. Um, so it's good for day events in warm American weather is what I would say. But if you want to be completely historical, then stick with the wool. The one thing I'll point out to PV's advantage, and some wool advantage, some not. Um, the mills, when they weave cloth over in Scotland, over in England, their, their looms are either single width, which is about 32 inches wide, so you can't really use that for a great kilt. The double width looms are going to be between 54 and 60 inches wide. If you are taller... Kirk Kinnaman, I'm looking at you. If you are six foot nine and you need your kilt to go from your knee all the way up and wrap around over your left shoulder, it has to be the 60-inch fabric. It's You want to make sure that the great kilt is long enough because you can't really stretch it to make it longer to go over your shoulder. You are X tall. You need X length for your kilt. So if you're a taller guy, when you order a great kilt... Make sure that either it's PV and the bolt is 60 inches wide, or B, you're ordering from a mill, or you're buying cloth from a mill that has 60-inch wide or 58-inch wide cloth, not 54. Right. right. Yep. Absolutely. Indeed. And now you know. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. What am I going to do to you guys now? Uh... Where is that? Yeah, okay. I am going to put you, Mac, on the spot. Dun-dun-dun! <gasps> John Paul Lazure, again, apologies if I'm mispronouncing, asked us... Bring him up full screen. What were... <laughs> <laughs> if you can, if not. Zoom in on his Zoom nose. Zoom in on his yeah. nose. What were the kilts of some of the New York New York regiments that were wearing them, wearing them during the Civil War? Uh, secondly, since they wore kilts then, 
why is New York one of the only states without an official tartan now? So you could basically talk about the official tar state tartans, but Mac, can you tell us about kilts during the Civil War? Yeah, so, Mac. The famous, the famous New yeah. York kilt. Well, it's it's a definitely in the reenacting community. It's a big thing where people tend to want to romanticize the kilt and bring it out more than what it actually was worn, which in combat situation wasn't worn at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think what he's who he's referring to is the 79th New York Militia, um, which is the uh, they wore Cameron of Iraq tartan. And from the notes from the New York Historical Society, it was a it was actually box pleated um, hmm. with a with hmm. uh, buckle closures um, and it had a, a cloth waistband around, which you see a lot of a lot of military uh, kilts throughout War One, War Two. You'll see that that style, um, but they were only worn once in a parade in New York. Uh, after they got in, after they got their enlistment and got their marching papers to move towards Washington, so by the time on their march to from New York to Washington, as they were heading to Manassas, um, they ended up switching over to sky blue trousers and into their regular U.S. enlisted um, equipment and uniforms. Um, but they were able to hang on to their jackets now. The what was the name? Uh, James Cameron um, was the one who he was actually the brother of Simon Cameron, um, who was uh, President Lincoln's secretary. Um, he's the one who helped raise the money for these uniforms. They weren't. They weren't. New York militia wasn't happy with them getting these uniforms, so they put the kibosh on it. And Cameron said. Nope, he's going to do it anyway. Ordered the material. Material got there. They were uh, made into kilts um, and worn once and then Discarded. got sky blues. But they were actually able to keep the trial, uh, the, the jackets. Um, there is some documents that's debatable if they wore the trues or not. Um, there may have been some that went through, but not many. Um, the only account of anybody wearing a kilt Past this was a lieutenant, I believe, um, who during the march decided to go foraging and fell over a pig uh, pen, which exposed his rear to the men, and the men uh, <laughs> made fun of him to the point uh, the next morning he woke up and outside of his tent was a hog's head. Um, so he. Ouch. Poor pig. Yeah. So he did not. After that, he showed up to formation in his regulation trousers. So. Okay. That is as far as the kilt has made it into Civil War combat, but the um, their jackets, their cutaway jackets, which they had, did last through until after, until they got reissued uh, the uh, sack coats. But as far as in Civil War, that's about it. It's You see early militias with some things. Um, there was an Illinois unit who wore Glengarry's, but other than uh, that, okay. as far as... Kilts, not much. So it's kind of it's it's in the same vein as the Zouave type uniforms that some of the militias and units had, because they, they were they were raised locally and funded locally, and it was the romantic thing to do before you had to actually go into serious. Yeah, situations. but then you have the whole thing with the Zouave uniforms then become more of a of an honor thing where okay. they okay. would get it would be after they did something heroic on the field or they did something that was important. Then they became, they got the Zouave uniforms, which is a big baggy trousers, 
which are usually brightly colored. Um, it's modeled after the French uniform. You see a lot of those uniforms during World War One with the French as well. So, mm. but the but the kilts never actually saw combat. Never saw combat. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Indeed. yeah. Now there there are tartans for Civil War enthusiasts. Modernly, um, there's. Uh, do you want to address the uh, before I get into that, or if I do, do you want to talk about the state official state tartans? Why doesn't New York have a official state tartan? Because they're not as cool as Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Period. Bam. Um, Mic drop. Yeah, exactly. Coffee drop. Scotch drop. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't drop scotch. Don't drop scotch. Um, no, it's uh, just like anything. It's it's not been. There's been no one who is. There's an official New York City tartan, but none for New York State. Um, of the states that you know, of the 50 states, I believe there's about 35, and don't quote me on that. I have a um, chart somewhere. Yeah, I've seen the chart somewhere as well. There's about 35 that have officially recognized tartans. Um, Pennsylvania does have one. Um, a lot of states do have them, but not every single state has an officially recognized tartan. It basically is a result of somebody pushing for it. Yep. Right? It's basically you have to have somebody who's really gung-ho. Usually they've designed it too, I would yep. think. Designed then, it. They either know somebody or they just got a you know complete you know uh, wild hair and they decide you know nope I want to push this through and they contact their local congressman who you know brings it before the house and senate of the of the state or whatever and they mm-hmm. just kind of push it through. Um, in the case of Rhode Island, I believe it's Rhode Island. It was the Rhode Island Saint Saint State Saint Andrews Society okay. who's the one that designed it and put it forth. Okay. Um, I know they have one. There's a lot of states that do have them, but sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's a group, but it has to go through and be approved by the state legislature in order to be considered official. Mm-hmm. I think Pennsylvania's was around for some time before it actually finally was ratified, right? It was in use for a while before it actually became officially official, I, as I recall. Because that happened sometime I after know. I started working here at the company. It had been official before you were working here. Oh, okay. Um but I'm not sure how long it existed before it was officially gotcha. approved. Okay. okay. I know it's. I remember it's based on Black Watch, um, but I, I forget. Everything's based on Black Watch. Yeah, pretty much. No, but it's like the set is actual Black Watch. Okay. Um, I forget the the fine the finite details of it, but yeah, I know it, that one is official. I used to remember the uh, the 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 house uh, approval number, whatever the resolution was mm. for the for mm-hmm. the thing, but. It's that's gone from my memory. I think it'd be awesome if every state did have one, but it's basically it's about the community agitating for it. Yeah. So we designed like my wife Kelly and I designed a an entire collection of state tartans based on the state seals. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of came up with the idea of okay, well every state deserves one, and then we're gonna have an entire collection and go you know do all the official ones as mm-hmm. well as the ones that didn't have tartans do those. The problem was. Some of the state tartans are actually copyrighted. Um, Maine has a copyrighted state t- state tartan. Um, I believe the St. Andrews one from Rhode Island is either mm. copyrighted or controlled by the group. So it was mm. going to be difficult for us to try to obtain permission to have X number of them woven. So we ended up designing our own collection based on the seal, the great seal of each state. Um, we were going to do it based on the flag. Okay. As it turns out, the vast majority of the U.S. states have flags that are red, white, and blue. Red, white, and blue. Go figure. <laughs> um, How did that happen? <laughs> the, the, the reason why we didn't want to do that is if you actually, in tartan, it's all about the interplay of the colors. And when you cross 
purple and red, or excuse me, blue and red, you get you purple. Get purple. Right. So that's it would definitely purple's one of those colors where you either love it or hate it. Right. So right. if you come out with a whole collection of you know, fifty shades of purple, fifty shades of purple tartans <laughs> with some red and blue highlights, um, it may not uh, do so well. Yeah, no. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, we we came out with our own collection. It failed miserably. Um, a few of them kind of ticked along. You know, you have the Alaska State Ta-da, Seal on the day. That's the best one. Um, that was one of the ones my wife did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it is what it is. Some states have them. Some states don't. If yours doesn't, design one. Yeah, go for it. Push it through. Try yeah. to make it official. And That'd yours be... can be the House Resolution, the number number five four eight as well. Ooh, that's, Ooh. that's Pennsylvania. Yep. Very nice. Very good. And Very when good. was it? When was it registered? We have it. It was a, it was registered in ninety two. But it was adopted in 2012. That's what I thought. Okay. That's it's still, okay. It, it, over that's the grand stretch, that's not too long. No, you know, I suppose. 15 years. Yeah. And it has to make it through. And there has to be enough people wearing it and pushing for it. And you, or you have to have a congressman in your pocket who you're like good buddies with. Like, right. oh, I went to college. He was my roommate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Buffy, let's call up John. Uh. Um, so it's either that to be able to have it, you know, introduced to the house to have it official. Gotcha. Or, even even on the ballot to become official. Okay. Indeed, I'm ranting. That's all right. Very That's good. Cool. So, if you did want to wear a kilt that has Civil War uh, leanings, to loop it back around, there is a Federal Memorial Tartan and a Confederate Memorial Tartan. Um, they were never used in period. They're modern inventions, but it's a nice way of showing your interest in heritage. You know, in the topic. Um, I can see wearing it to an event, but I wouldn't wear it with a uniform. You know, another great they never, way because they didn't exist. They didn't. Another great way? Huh. Boxwood in your Glengarry. Yeah, okay. Mac, okay. We'll do that one another time. All right. You get do you get points if you know what he's referring if you know what you guys are referring to? It's oh, it's a thing. It's it, a thing. Sh- it shouldn't be a thing. It's a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. It's it's a civil war thing, right, Mac? Or is it's it rev war? It's a it's yeah, it's civil war, but it's it's something. It's it's a, it's a, it's thing. a thing. Okay. Yes. All right. Again, Google misinformation about boxwood <laughs> being worn in your hat in battle during the Civil War. There you go. Uh, Richard Doherty is asking us, or Doherty is asking us uh, about reasonable prices for dry cleaning a kilt. Here's his concern. Basically, he's wondering if you can or if you should try to negotiate a price with a dry cleaner if you want them to do. Uh, better quality service or special extenuated service on a kilt. He has taken kilts to his local dry cleaner and they've only charged him as though it were a woman's skirt. They've only charged him like 450, but he's assuming he's getting baseline service Service. on the garment. And he's wondering, you know, what would, what would we charge for cleaning and ironing a kilt if it were us? Or what would be a reasonable price to expect from a dry cleaner if you're willing, if they're willing to basically listen to you and do exactly what you tell them to do? To take care of a five hundred dollar kilt. Yeah, um, dry cleaners. There, there's basically two types of dry cleaners. There's jobbers and there's guys who actually clean the actual garments. So on site. On site, yeah. correct. Okay. So when you take your kilt or whatever you have to a dry cleaner, if it is a small, you know, kiosk kind of thing, they're obviously not cleaning it there. If they have a huge room with a ton of equipment and, you know, loud machines and it's like a million degrees in there, there's a good chance they're cleaning it. So you want to make sure you're taking it to the company or the the individuals who are actually cleaning the garments, not just to a service who then 
collects the garments and takes it to a big factory that dry cleans everything all at once. Mm. You want to be comfortable with the dry cleaner and you want to be a little bit forthright with them. Um, it's, uh. If you know them, it's going to be easier because you're asking them to do something that they don't normally do. When you're talking business-wise, all they want to do is take the thing out of your hand, take your money, give you a ticket, and you'll come back in three days. Um, they don't want to have to think about it. They want to just go through their normal process. So you're, I like how you're thinking with basically effort offering, you're asking or offering them more money to have better service on it. If they are reputable, if they're you know nice people, if you know them individually, it will be a lot easier to do that um, because they may be able to or may be willing to kind of bend the rules for you and not just take it, throw it in a bin and say, okay, I'll see you in a couple of days. Um, but generally how dry cleaners charge, at least for me, for kilts is either a flat fee like a skirt. Um, you can sometimes ask them to just clean it, not press it, and they'll charge you a little bit less. Some companies will actually charge you per pleat. So if you have 32 pleats, they'll charge you 50 cents a pleat, 16 bucks plus the base charge or whatever it is. So there's there's a lot of different ways that dry cleaners will charge you. Um, but if it were me, and I was taking it to a dry cleaner and didn't have a you know vacuum ironing table and a nice steam iron, um, I would probably offer them 20 bucks and ask them to pay very 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 specific attention to how it is pleated. Uh-huh. I would actually put the kilt on the counter and show them how it is pleated and you know and ironed exactly down one particular stripe you know it goes straight down the very edge of each individual pleat um, or if there's a white stripe centered on the pleat that is centered down the entire pleat and ask them are you comfortable if I give you 20 bucks are you comfortable actually ironing each individual pleat or are you just going to put it in a big clamshell ka-chunk and be done with it and if they say they're willing to do it for 20 bucks and hand iron each pleat great um mm-hmm. a lot of companies that just do the big clamshell thing they may actually pin each pleat individually but you want to make sure that the person doing it is paying very very specific you know careful you know attention to how they are lining up the pleats because once they set them with a permanent press, and it's called a permanent press for a reason. Um, it couldn't, it can skew the way that the pleats are hanging. It could skew the way that they're they're folded. They could be a little bit diagonal. The lines could be crooked. So you really have to be careful about it. the dry cleaner. Yeah. yeah, and it can be undone, but it's not easy. So ideally, you're talking with the person who's actually doing the work. Even, or, even better than like you know if you have dad and his daughter is the one who actually is doing the, the ironing. Yes. You, know, you don't or, want to play any telephone telephone games either. Correct. Which is yeah. why I'm saying only deal with the company that actually yeah. does the cleaning so you need, in you house. You need a relationship. You need to be close as close to the the person doing the work as possible. Mm-hmm. If it is dad having his daughter do it, then say to the dad, can you just make sure when she's doing? I'm willing to pay you more. Just make sure when she's doing it, she's lining everything up very, very precisely. And this is why I say it's it's better if you know the company or know the guy or, or female um, and you are you have a bit of a working relationship with them that you can kind of ask them this favor because it is a favor. You're asking them to do something they don't normally do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think uh, you're uh, on the same page as Rich was with the price. He had suggested yeah. maybe he was wondering if like 18 to 20 bucks was a good price yeah. to offer for that level of service so i 
Yeah, I would say so. It's, yeah. yeah. Mac, what do you think? That's fair. About that, yeah. Okay. Cool. All yeah. right. So, there you go. So with that. Good luck. There you go. Well, let us know how it goes. Yep. Mr. All right. Mac. All right. So this this is a question we get quite often at festivals, um, and my Pennsylvania Dutch will probably come out in this. Uh-oh. Um, have you ever tried to create an EMS tart? And this is from Doug. Uh, that which would represent a private ambulance service. An EMS tartan that would represent a private, a, sp a specific, not necessarily ambulance a, service. not necessarily a specific one, but it okay. just, just, yeah, he's just given a general. Okay. Yeah, there's actually three EMS tartans that I know of. Um, one is done by our uh, buddy Mark Ragnone, very very nice guy. Um, he was the kind of the OG, the original person who came to us and said, hey. You guys do a fire tartan and a law tartan. You should do an EMS. And we said, we'd like to, but there's a limited budget that we have to work with. You know, we're not exactly independently wealthy. Um, and we have to worry about commercial viability. So with our help, he came out with the EMS tartan. Um, I guess he was the emergency medical services tartan. And there's like an EMS, yeah. an emergency medical services. They're, they're named three similar things. Um, but I know that there's three of them. Um, at least three. If it is for a private ambulance service, then do whatever you want. You know, there we have our tartan designer on our website. Make up your own, have it registered, we'll happily make it for you. Um, but there are none that are stock supported by any of the mills in the UK that I'm aware of. Hmm. Okay. Anything to... No. Basically, talk? yeah, it's... Um, I think it'd be really cool if, uh, if an EMS tartan took off and there was a groundswell of guys across the country who wanted to do it. I have a lot of respect yeah. for EMS guys. Matt, I'm looking at you if you're watching. Um, and yeah, just like nurses too. I have a lot of respect oh, for yeah. that. So I think, it'd be, I think it'd be cool if there's one that could be as uh, universally recognized as the law enforcement memorial and the firefighters memorial are. But um, it's got, you need that groundswell. You really need that. Uh, I, will, I will say this. If there was one for medical professionals... Okay. And which would include EMS, nurses, doctors, whatever, hospital staff, mm -hmm. emergency care workers. Mm -hmm. um, I could see that potentially. Um, the question, well, they obviously couldn't wear it on duty. It wouldn't go well with the Crocs. Um, <laughs> the, my sister-in-law is a nurse, so I love okay. nurses. Okay. My mom was a nurse. Um, but the it's it really boils down to the the viability of it in a mass market. Yeah. Um, so, but. Then on the other side of it, if it's too broad of a thing, if it's just medical services, then, then they feel, feel like, like they're speaks, being swept yeah. under the rug. Yeah, it doesn't speak to me. That's yeah. not really me. That's a... Yeah. 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 So it'd be interesting to see it evolve. Yeah. Mark's is the Emergency Medical Services Memorial Tartan. Okay. Okay. Is what Mark has. Okay. <clears throat> cool. Very good. Hmm? Indeed. Hopefully that helps. Mr. Mack. I say that um, a lot. Yeah. Hope that helps. We do hope it helps. Hope that helps. It's true. Yeah. yeah, we want to. We're here to help, mm -hmm. to impart knowledge, mm -hmm. as we have it anyway. Yep. Until until <laughs> every man in America wears viewers. a kilt. Someday, this will be a common curriculum in elementary school, and every child in America will know everything. That to is know about a scary, wear. scary thought. Me being common curriculum in high school. <laughs> when I run for office, <laughs> remember uh, to vote, kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mac. Don't. All right, Go so ahead. Please, please don't make that happen. We, uh, <laughs> we missed Jared's question earlier. You deserve better. So we're coming back to it here. Uh, so Jared is asking, uh, would a kilt can be considered inappropriate attire for church? No. 
It's yeah, lots of people. There's a it's whole clothing. There's a whole tradition in <laughs> Scotland of, of wearing kilts to church. I mean, there's even the uh, the kirken black, of the tartan. Kirken of the tartan, where basically you take your tartan to the church so they can be blessed. And I'm assuming that's pretty much a Presbyterian thing. Which he did bring that up in, yeah. in the comments. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I do know that it can depend on the congregation's comfort level. Um, if they don't have much Celtic background, they may be less than thrilled with a kilt in church. Um, it is completely appropriate. Um, it's as we point out often, the kilt is a garment, a garment that stands on its own, and whether it's dressy or not dressy depends on the other things you wear with it. So if you're prepared to wear it in a dignified fashion with a good tie and a shirt and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, sure. I will also point out there's even clergy will wear a tartan. Yep. Our esteemed Reverend Adam. Um, <laughs> I'm not What's your official title? What's your title? Are you minister? pastor, minister? Pastor? Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Adam is an actual practicing minister. Um, and he wears a kill. He has the clergy tartan. There is a clergy tartan for clerics across the country, across the world. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it is absolutely appropriate. Um, you're right. It depends on the comfort level of yeah. the congregation. It totally depends on the comfort um, level of the congregation. Whether the, especially whether the pastor, who's actually employed by the congregation, or the members may kind of, you know, some whispers behind your back kind of thing. But it's your comfort level as well. I mean, it's your clothing. As yeah. long as you're not being obscene in church, Yeah, it, that's it, their opinion. And it, it may depend on your willingness to educate them. If it's, it's, if it's very much not much of a Celtic connection in your congregation then it may be a matter of weaning them to the fact that you're going to wear it and uh, explain to them the fact that, look, this is my heritage. You know, when I'm coming to a house of worship, I want to look my best and I want to express my heritage at the same time. So this is how, what I want to do and this is why. And uh, I think, assuming it's not like a huge mega church or something, you know, and you can actually talk to people, I'd be willing to bet that you can educate your community um, that this is something you're doing because you believe in looking good and dignified when you're in your house of worship. That's, that's, that'd be my take on it anyway. Yeah. Me, I go worship in the forest, so it really doesn't matter. You know, it's all good. The, my, my also, also my, uh, my, my level of wanting to educate people <laughs> is depending on their openness. If, yeah. you know, for instance, you know, viewers here or people watching our stuff on YouTube or whatever, um, they're obviously seeking out the information, so I am more than happy to talk about this stuff and sure. educate people. If the person is closed-minded and... To my face, just gets like, why are you wearing a skirt? Well, it's a kilt. No, it's a skirt. Well, this is actually a Scottish garment. No, it's a skirt. Well, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, my, my fuse is much, much shorter for those people yeah. than people who are wanting to learn and wanting to understand. Yeah. But that's mm -hmm. that's the problem with the world these days. Yeah. Not enough people are wearing kilts, you mean? That too. That too. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that helps. There's my tagline again, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we can, I'm sure that if you talk about it on the Kilts and Culture group, you'll get a lot of other opinions and tips. Um, we all have experiences like this where it's a new context that we want to wear a kilt in, and it's the question of how much do you want to educate versus just go and do it and just say, heck with the consequences, I'm doing my thing. You know, so see what other people say about it. And when in doubt, bring a claymore, you'll get a lot <laughs> less questions. Yeah, okay. It may be frowned upon. Not in my congregation. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Mr. Mack. All right, so we have uh, Roberto. This one may be a little... This may, may be a little, uh, quite in-depth. Um, Uh-oh. 
he was wondering if there's anything that people would consider formal daywear slash morning dress. So I'm not sure if it's if he's going head to toe here, what are like where his direction is, but this this kind of formal formal daywear so morning, morning dress morning dress. I get fuzzy here. Well, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what context you're, Roberto. You're hoping of you to use this in morning dress is primarily uh, a level of formality that is more associated with England and other uh, areas with you know, high Victorian society. Um, I don't really run into it in a kilted Scottish context as much. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just scanning my memory banks, but for the most part, if you were in a context, and again, I'm going back to the 19th century because that's where I live, um, morning dress would not include a kilt. Now, it could perhaps include some tartan, possibly, but it's more of certain contexts, certain activities, like riding in the morning or... Uh, you know, morning cotillion, not cotillions, but uh, uh, morning social activities, basically, which were more city-oriented, more urban, um, whereas in the 19th century, a kilt was more appropriate for the country or evening uh, at your estate or, you know, at a, a dance or something or a ball. So I don't know if they, the Scots really got into kilt as part of morning dress. There's very definitely a code with morning dress to Victorian high society with the uh, with the, the the style of coats that they wore, um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, Is it, are they long jackets? Yeah, it's like a it's it's kind of it's like a cutaway yeah cutaway coat. Um, so it would look weird in my eye. It would look weird with the kilt anyway because it would cover up the majority of the back of the pleats. Well, yeah, the jacket. That's the thing. I'm wondering if there's a Scottish equivalent of morning dress. It it would not include anything like a morning coat. Yeah. Um, you have any thoughts, Mac? Um, no. You're more military than civilian. I want to head to the like Google maybe. machine and see what the Google Feel machine free. has to say. Um, well. So again, I would say that the... the um, Within reason. Yeah. yeah, I would say if you wanted a modern equivalent that would work, um, you could get a similar vibe if you went with a worsted wool jacket, like a worsted wool argyle, um, and a hunting sporin or you know a nicer-looking day sporin. Um, you know, essentially suit-level niceness. Not tweed. I wouldn't consider tweed to be uh, morning dress, uh, but a worsted wool jacket in a solid color. Yeah, like um, a suiting fabric be... for a jacket versus yes, a worsted exactly, wool kind of thing. Exactly. Got it. That would be more appropriate. Yeah. So it's a good question. That's pinstripe. You got, you got me thinking about that. Pinstripe. <sighs> With a pinstripe kilt. Uh, pinstripe. No. Pinstripe kilt and a and a cutaway swallow oh, cut morning coat. My brain hurts. Yeah. All right, Mr. Mac. Next question. That's that was all. That's I had. all we got for right so, now. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Mr. Eric, next preloaded one. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, Christopher Pauling, um, he's got some issues with his hands, and uh, but one of the things he was wanting to do was to get into doing some kilt sewing, as a therapeutic hobby slash activity. Um, the problem is he's trying to figure out uh, what <clears throat> fabrics he should use for trying out sewing a kilt for the first time. You know, tartan fabric is harder to come by in his area, and it's it can be expensive to get actual tartan. So he's wondering, you know, what can he go to a fabric store to get that would give him a reasonable experience when he's teaching himself how to sew a kilt and doing the handwork and stuff. Right. Um, the, uh, the the wool cloth used in making a kilt is very, very tightly woven. Um, the same kind of thing with the polyester viscose fabric that we have, the PV fabric that we use here in the shop. It's very, very tightly woven. When you move into something like acrylic, um, where it's a little bit more of a burlap sack kind of feel to it, it's looser woven, um, 
<clears throat> it's it's a little bit more difficult to sew because the fabric kind of moves and wiggles more. Um, and when you actually put it on, it can stretch and skew weirdly depending on how it's sewn, how many layers you go through, all that kind of stuff. Um, the wool fabric from Scotland is expensive. It's going to be, you know, 70, 80, 90 dollars a yard mm. kind of price range for wool fabric from the UK. Um, the polyviscose fabric that we sell is going to be roughly 30 to 40 bucks a yard, somewhere in there. I forget exactly what it is. Um, but that is going to be a reasonably priced entry-ish level fabric. Um, if you went to Walmart, I would not get flannel. I would not get, you know, the, the cheap stuff that is tartanesque. Um, just basically because it's 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 looser looser woven cloth. It's not going to make a good finished garment. It's not going to teach you how to sew well. It, if anything, it's going to be more frustrating. Um, the the closest thing that I could kind of think of um, in a lower price point, meaning like five to ten bucks a yard somewhere in there, would be like a canvas, like a, a, a cotton duck a cotton type duck. fabric, yeah, yeah. where it's going to be a very densely woven fabric it's not going to move a lot as you're trying to sew it it's going to take a crease um it's now that being said moving forward to fast forwarding to the finished product cotton is going to crease a lot worse and you know rimp, wrinkle a lot worse than wool is going to or than pv is going to um it is going to shrink so you're definitely want, going to want to pre-wash the fabric you know cut out your fabric to longer than you think you need, or take the whole the whole bolt of fabric, double width, jam it in your washing machine, wash it on high, hot, and then dry it on high, hot to shrink it as much as you can before you make anything from it. Because worst case scenario is you make yourself a very, very precise 23 and 3 quarter inch kilt um, for the length, and you wash it and you end up with a 21 inch kilt, and oh. you have a mini kilt. Um, so you definitely, if you're using cotton or something like that, you want to pre-wash the fabric. Um, but the a canvas is going to kind of, a, a, a densely woven canvas is going to feel similar-ish to wool or like a comb cotton or brush cotton kind of, mm -hmm. kind of fabric. You just want to make sure you're getting a reasonable weight to it, not something that's like five or six ounces, but something that's minimum eight, 10, 12 ounces. Do you think this is why, um, like a lot of utility kilt manufacturers, will go with a poly a poly cotton, basically, so they well, have the sizing from the polyester in it? And no, the reason they do that is more for the wrinkle factor. Okay. Um, because a poly cotton blend is going to wrinkle a lot less than a straight cotton fabric. Okay. Um, there's a lot of uh, and a, a cotton duck. The other issue with it is it kind of holds its thing. Um, one of my original utility kilts. I would wash it and, you know, iron it. And if you're sitting down in it, Kelly used to, you know, poke fun at me saying it looks like a tutu when you stand up. Because if you sit on it and it wrinkles weirdly and you're in the chair for a while, you're in the mm -hmm. car, and you stand up, it kind of holds that shape yeah, as you're yeah, standing there. No, I know exactly what you're talking um, about. Yeah. So she just busted yeah. my chops on that. But it's mm -hmm. she's right. I and mean, it, it stays stiff. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, going X marks, there's literally threads and threads and threads about people who have washed kilts hundreds of times in fabric softener to try to soften it huh. and get it to not stay so stiff, but to varying degrees of the success. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that is why a lot of companies use a cotton poly blend for okay. like the the, the mocker utilicult or things like that. My original is a cotton poly cotton. Yeah, my, my original original. Yeah, the oldest one because yeah. it's it drapes a little bit nicer. Yeah. and it swings a little bit nicer. Cotton and canvas kind of move yeah. together. It's yeah. stiff. So I would say so a like you said a cotton duck, maybe a poly cotton. Don't try and think to think in terms of creating a really rugged garment for these first couple of experiments he's doing. Make sure the fabric is workable. Yeah, the, not, there's not, not too soft, <clears throat> not soft, stiff enough, but. There's two schools of thought on it. It's he was he specifically pointed out price, which is why I steered him yep. that direction. Yes. Um, to try to find something that is going to be a reasonable approximation of what you will eventually work on if you get better and want to make yourself a wool kilt. The other school of thought is nothing is going to feel the same as wool. Nothing is going to match nod in his head. Nothing is going to yeah. like sew the same as wool. So if you start with a lesser quality fabric, you're just going to end up with a lesser quality kilt. You're, so start with good wool cloth and learn on good wool cloth. That way you're not refining your technique as you get better. You're actually starting on the stuff you're going to be sewing professionally yeah, that's, that's, for that's yourself, quite, that's whatever. That's quite an investment, though. Yeah. It is, but it is an investment. And yeah. that's why it's, you know, how much money do you have versus how serious are you about it versus, you know. Yeah. I'd probably split the difference if it were me. And also how crafty are you? How, thick, how quickly yeah. do you think you're going to pick it up? Yeah. And if you're a person who can't screw in a light bulb without screwing it up, then I'd say buy the cheaper cloth and really hone your skills. <laughs> yeah. Hone your skills before you pick up $75 yard cloth and mm -hmm. cut it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I knew a guy who made his own kilt for his wedding, and he was an accomplished tailor uh, doing 14th century medieval European garb. And so really complicated, really tightly fitting, you know, coat hardies and stuff like this. And and uh, and he would uh, he said he, when he went to go and cut the fabric for the first time to make his kilt, his hands were shaking because yeah. he was afraid to screw it up because it's like you know ninety dollar a yard tartan you know oh. they got from Scotland. He's just like uh, even okay, even worse than go. that. <laughs> you know? Even worse than that is the first time you go to rip cloth because mm. tartan is woven as a twill weave. So you you snip about a two-inch section, you grab either end, and you tear as fast as you can, and it'll tear in a straight line. And the first time, <laughs> even more than the first time you do that, it's still kind of unnerving a little bit if it's your harder money on the line yeah. <laughs> that you're ripping fabric. Right, and you're, right. That's why the measure twice cut once. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Um, similar question. Um, our friend Mario up in Canada asked if you did want to learn to make a kilt yourself is there a right way to do it is there you know how, how what's the best way to learn how to make a kilt if you're going to try and do it as a as a hobbyist don't ask me i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> um we no, make it all the time <laughs> no it's make it up as we go yeah yep. <laughs> for much. Well, it's not far from the I truth um, for me it was it started off as a passion for wanting to wear a kilt Buying them, figuring, okay, I'm gonna make these, and I can, you know, I can do it cheap, and that way I can have lots of kilts. So I just started making them. I still have my original kilt. I don't know if I'm ever gonna let it see the light of day outside I of really would here. love to see it. I but it is, it. it is horrible. It is yellow camouflage. Oh, I have seen it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the joke was, my my buddy Brett saw it and said, "What are you trying to hide from, pus?" And it was, it is <laughs> horrible. Um, it is it is horribly sewn. I am embarrassed, but I love it for the fact that it was the first one I did. Um, okay. You're gonna. It's now. When I started sewing, I didn't know. Literally, my my only my foray into sewing was 
sewing a pillow in home ec class in seventh grade, hmm. and it looked more like a football. Hmm. And then okay. I, you know, begged my mom. I had moved out of the house and begged my mom to, you know, give me my grandmom's old sewing machine and tried, you know, sewed it on that kind of thing. And I just got better and better over time. And as we started the company, it was I was looking at other companies' kilts and trying to figure out my my engineering nature of my brain, trying to figure out how it was put together. And I got into a weird place of literally like garment construction in my brain, every person that walked past, I was like analyzing how their pants were sewn and how they did that seam uh, and that kind of thing. Okay. And it got awkward when I'm staring at a, a, a woman's blouse and I'm like, I'm, I'm staring at the buttons and how they're doing this applique. I'm not staring at you. I'm staring at the thing, <laughs> which even made it more insulting. Um, so, <laughs> you can't win. You're yes, pretty win much. That one. Um, but it was, I just kind of figured it out myself um, and got better and better at it and through adjusting kilts and kind of reworking things and redefining my own techniques, I got, I reinvented the wheel every step of the way. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a particular way of sewing things here or constructing garments that is going to be slightly different than like Barb Tewksbury's book, The Art of Kilt Making, or then you're going to learn in a kilt making course at the Kilt Makery in Scotland. Um, that being said, there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat. You can make a kilt a lot of different ways. The definition of a kilt is a pleated garment worn to the knee, generally by guys in Scotland. So it's not like there's only one way to do it, one right way. There are better techniques, there are lesser techniques, there are people who skip steps and skip techniques altogether. That being said, there's no one way to do it. Um, some kilt makers offer classes, there's places in Scotland, as I alluded to. There's a, a kilt maker camp, as I said, Barb Tewksbury, wonderful, wonderful lady, um, has a book called the, the Art of Kilt Making, and she runs a camp in New York every other year um, with our buddy Steve Ashton. Um, so there's a lot of different places to do it. Um, there's online tutorials. Um, it, it's You just have to have a passion for it and want to do it. There's and the a, time to invest. <laughs> yes, absolutely time. the time to invest. The, you know, the, the research time to invest, the time to actually make the thing, the patience to make the thing, which I still don't know how I had the patience to get to where <laughs> I am now. Um, patience is not my virtue. Um, so there's a lot that actually goes into it. It's, it's very, very different from tailoring. It's garment construction, but there's no pattern pieces. It's all math, and it's all figuring it out. So it's just a matter of... Do you want to do it a very, very traditional way? Do you want to make a contemporary kilt? Do you want to make more of an art piece like the people from Kilt This um, or Alt Kilt where they make like avant-garde and utility kilts with like gears and stuff on them and, you know, you know bondage, you know, things on it and stuff? Do you want to do Kilt This up in Seattle? Um, yes. Yeah. The, but it's, you know, I'm my point is... I'm just amused whenever you mention bondage. Yes, of anything. course. Um but the you know there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's not one style of kilt. There's not it's whatever you want to do with it. It's true. Yeah. So Mario, good luck. But that's that's the reason why this is a, a successful business is because you're 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 doing it. You're taking this this massive project and you've turned it into a science so that people can just buy one. Yeah. Yeah. That's what kilt makers do, I guess. Yeah, it's it really is. The devil is in the details. Yeah. Like Being on. Being on this side of the Atlantic is a distinct disadvantage. You mm -hmm. don't have a 
kilt maker in every town. You don't have an apprenticeship in every other town where you can just go and learn by sitting down and watching somebody and donating your time and then they teach you how to do stuff. It's, I, we're, you know, the U.S. is a lot bigger than Scotland. So we're out here kind of on our own, to our, left to our own devices, figuring it out and piecing it together. That's kind of how we got into it. And it was a lot longer of a process. We made a lot more mistakes, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I had to figure it out as I went along. So I understand every step of the process. I understand why you do every single thing. And it's more of an accomplishment when you do it yourself than if somebody just says, here's the manual, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Indeed. It's been a long, strange journey. It has. <laughs> that it has. And we ain't done yet. Nope. Speaking of not done yet, we are almost at our usual stop time. <clears throat> we'll do. Do we have any more from the audience? The uh, the only big question everybody's asking is how's the how's the rest of the remodeling going since Okay. I have we're one here. I have one question I want to get to because I promised mm -hmm. the guy yeah. last month. So Let um, me let me answer that, then we'll hit that last. Oh, okay. I thought we were gonna yeah. I thought we'd end with the <clears throat> the construction and announcements and stuff, but as you wish. Okay. Way. No, the the uh, construction's doing well. The we're minorly behind schedule, not too bad. Um, our friends at BH Design and Build are very, very good. Mm -hmm. um, the studio is mostly done. We got some more lighting stuff to do, so hopefully we'll have even better lighting next time. But we're very pleased with how the studio came out. Yeah. Um, second story is almost done. The first floor is about to be remodeled. Um, we're gonna have a warehouse store for about three weeks or so in the coming month um, when when the uh, when they move downstairs and start ripping apart the store. Um, the grand reopening will be October 12th. We're going to set up a Facebook reminder about that or Facebook event. Mm -hmm. So if you could, if you're coming, please respond to that so we have an idea what we're getting for food and drinks and that kind of thing. Yep, we will shout it from the rooftops as we get closer. Absolutely. Um, and that basically the, the bomb floor being gutted is so that the showroom can be, what did you say, another third larger yeah, than it 12 is now. foot 12 yeah. foot longer doing yeah. the customer service room yep. Yep. um new shipping department yeah yep so it's going to be bigger and better onward and upward it's a machine is a is a, it's a beast it's a beast it's a beast so and i'm was, very proud of it though from from the 500 square foot cottage that we started yeah to a 12,000 square foot building it's i'm psyched it's pretty crazy yeah <laughs> it's pretty awesome we're gonna say Matt? I was going to say, if uh, those are watching, and some have already, is just if you put in the comments just how the lighting is on your end, how the audio is on your end, just so it kind of gives sure. us an, an idea of, of maybe uh, a, a new way to to add some more detail to it. Yeah, if anyone, if we have any lighting yeah. professionals, any audio professionals, add your two bits. We are not too proud to take criticism. Nope. Tell us if we look washed out, if we look like we're in a, you know, clear sill commercial, whether, whether we're, you know, like, you know, the old scary Halloween thing or campfire stories, um, let us know what you think. And we are constantly evolving with this thing. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Just, um, like, just like teaching yourself to make kilts. We exactly. are teaching ourselves to make media. Yes. Yeah. We're, we are building the airplane on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You just remind me of an old movie called Flight of the Phoenix. If anybody out there has ever seen that movie, let me know. You get points. You're probably old. But uh, <laughs> it's an old movie. It's an awesome movie. They, I think they did a remake, actually, which was sucky, but the original is awesome. All right. Sean, you had asked me like a month or two ago, um, 
when wearing the white tie equivalent of Highland dress, we're talking really high formal, in other words, the lace cuffs and the jabot um, with something like a regulation doublet, should you wear a collared shirt or should you tie your jabot, he uses the word ascot, but jabot, um, under the collar? And Sean says he, he has this gear, he's just not quite sure what shirt to use with it. Uh, and the way you phrased the question originally, Sean, as I recall, was should you use a wing collar shirt or a turn down collar shirt? And the answer is, you want to guess? Yes. That's the answer. Okay, you're supposed to upstage my answers, remember? You were going to do this. Seven. Seven. The answer is seven. Um, the answer is neither. Uh, Zing! Bam! No. Um, Kapowie. In real life, I'd recommend you're probably going to have better luck with a wing collar shirt. The uh, Basically the short little triangle tuxedo shirt. Uh, traditionally, a jabot is actually worn with a collarless or banded collar shirt. Uh, and better quality jabots... Uh, there, there are basically different grades of jabots, and I'm not sure which one you have, but um, the more economical ones will have Velcro tab at the, at the back. Uh, better ones will actually have, um, you know, laces. Uh, but traditionally, you would basically tie it on together like a cravat. And it was worn with a banded collar shirt, which was common in, you know, the 19th century. So a lot of, uh, not a lot, but several doublets you can buy, uh, especially like the Montrose, um, will sometimes have a button which is designed to actually tack the jabot onto. Um, or some jabots will work with, um, with collar studs, like you'll see on, on old-fashioned shirts. That's what I was envisioning was the little stud up yep, top. Yep. Yeah, sometimes it's a stud, sometimes there's a button <clears throat> sewn onto the doublet, apparently, as a secret button. Um, it really depends on how the jabot you have has been designed. It's definitely going to look better with a, a Kenmore or a Montrose, or a Sheriff Muir if you're using the very high-cut uh, waistcoat that comes with a Sheriff Muir. Uh, wearing a jabot with any other kind of a jacket, I'm not sure he's thinking this, but just in case anybody else is, don't try to wear a jabot with a Prince Charlie or a, uh, an Argyle. It's going to look weird. Um, you're not supposed to see any shirt at all, essentially, is what it comes down to. You barely see any shirt cloth at all. It's just the, the fabric wrapping around your neck from the jabot. So occasionally you can get traditional banded collar shirts from a reenactment supply, house or um, there's a, a, a waiter's shirt company in London, which I haven't looked at recently, I think it's called Dudley's, um, that uh, makes uh, traditional shirts for waitstaff in high-end restaurants. And that's a traditional shirt that would work with it. But essentially, all you should see is this band of white fabric, you know, it would be linen or silk, I think sometimes, uh, of the jabot itself. You wouldn't have any collar showing at all. So if you have to fudge it, go with the wingtip and just tuck those wingtips underneath or maybe even cut them off. I don't know. But that's how, that's, you know, I mean, just because it's going to be hidden. them down. It's gonna be, yes. Yeah, hem yeah, them yeah. down because it's going to be hidden underneath yeah. the jabot. Or can you just tuck it behind the jabot? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, or flip them up and in. But, but, but an actual, yeah. a true 19th century banded collar shirt, shirt would yeah. actually be the best. Okay. So, Very good. Thanks for joining us, guys. Our podcast theme song is Gold and Guns by the Kilmaine Saints. If you have a question for us, you can ask it during our YouTube live stream the first Friday of every month at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to get social with other kilt enthusiasts, go check out the Kilts and Culture group over on Facebook. You can also find USA Kilts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or over at our website, usakilts.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, Slangeva.